0: Welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest
1: show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life
0: and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience, while having real, unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. All right, everybody, welcome. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. We're here today with a retired... NYPD police officer, Christopher Messina. Christopher, welcome, my brother.
1: Hey, how's it going? You call me Chris, by the way.
0: Chris? All right, Chris, it yeah. is, my friend. We also got the great and powerful Eric Dim with us, live from Brazil, hanging out. You know me, baby. <laughs> so uh, Chris was, uh, Chris recently retired from the NYPD. Uh, we're going to get into that, but he's a young man. He hasn't even turned 30 yet. Um just by looking at him, you could tell he should still be working in New York City. He should still be living in New York City. Um, we're gonna go into Chris's life. We're gonna go into his career. We're gonna go into thoughts, his thoughts on policing, and we're also gonna we're gonna take that in. We're gonna bring that into the Exodus. Uh, we're gonna go into the mass Exodus that was seen in the police department. Daily News UK just put in over twelve hundred guys. Resign this year, resign. So that means they are not vested. They cannot retire. They didn't retire early like myself. They didn't retire early like Chris. uh And you know, Eric had his military time, so he he he. You know, he he completed his twentieth. But as you can see, with all young guys, I think the highlighting factor. Of this whole show, when you listen to it, when you watch it, you see guys that should still be working. We should still be in the NYPD uniform wearing blue and we're not for ridiculous reasons. Chris, welcome to the show, my brother. Could you do me a favor and just let the audience know who you are, how you grew up, uh, you know, where you came from, what neighborhoods you grew up in, stuff like that?
1: All right. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, uh, went to John Jay you know, uh, graduated. I was young. I was 23 years old and did the stereotypical thing. You know, I took all the tests. NYPD was the first one to call me. And, uh, July 13th, 2016, I started my career in law enforcement. Uh, what made you want to become a cop? There was a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I wanted to obviously the, the, the security, the job security, the pension, the benefits, uh, the job security. That's, kind of a joke now, but back then before all this COVID, you know, but whatever. Um, I really wanted to, I felt like, you know, I could be somebody that could, uh, I guess like pursue criminals and, uh, you know, get the bad guy, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what drew me to the career. And, you know, that's kind of still why I do it. So.
0: So, uh, what tell us about what class you started in, and tell us a little bit about your academy experience, like how that was.
1: Um, so I was the July class of 2016. Uh, first day they had us. Uh, I was the new academy, so I wasn't the old academy. So when I got off, when I you know hit the streets in the seven seven, everybody had to remind me, you know, that one I wasn't in the. Old academy, and two, I didn't do impact. So basically, I was useless. But uh, <laughs> I was a bitch because I, I couldn't help when I got on the job. But um, yeah, first day, it was like 90 degrees outside. I'm in a suit, just standing there for an hour and a half with no direction and afraid to move. <laughs> and that was my first day. And uh, the academy was a good experience overall. Um, you know, you build a camaraderie, you start to get into the mindset, they prepare you to be a cop because there is a change, I believe, from being a civilian to being a cop. And uh, that's really where it begins. Uh, you don't really see it fall until you hit the street, but you start there. I think that's kind of like the the preschool to fully becoming a cop.
0: What you got What do you got about the academy, Eric? Anything? Any questions? <laughs> well,
2: actually, what I want to ask is, Do you come from a deity, from a family of cops? And the reason why I'm asking that is, do you know anyone else that was actually on the job that was Tier 2 or someone that was Tier 3? Did you have any understanding of what it meant to be part of Tier 2 or Tier 3? That's why I'm asking that. Did you know anybody that was part of Tier 2? Or or if you had no idea, I'll be honest. That's fine. I mean, honestly, most young guys don't even understand the pension because it's, it's not really relative. You get on the job, you're 21 years old. It's not something you're thinking of. For 20 years from now but did you understand that did you have the the, the knowledge of that
1: no not, not at all no one ever explained it to me I had no family on uh, family that was on the job um, my friend's older brother you know I knew him he's tier two but you know that wasn't what we talked about when he described the job he talked about being an anti-crime and all the shit that made me want to be a cop so it wasn't like we talked about the pension and I wasn't thinking about that at the time and uh, it was never explained to me even now I still try to find you know figure things out about, you know, what exactly did I vest out into? And I can't get answers from anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that, yeah,
0: that's, I mean, that's, that's, I that we've been hearing a lot of that, That like pension section has no clue when it comes to tier three. We're going to talk about the pension section one day. We won't get into it today, but I'm, I'm going to blast them because I, I think me and Dim both had this a very similar experience when we went to retire. We'll get into that one day. Oh, oh, absolutely!
2: But I, I like to give a little hint, though. If anybody is in their moment that they're actually in, uh, about to head for retirement, if you get on the phone with Sergeant Kathleen Russell, just let me know. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, just curious. Let, let us know how you are treated, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about uh, it.
1: Later. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, I dealt, I dealt with uh, her. I believe I it was, it was back in February, but I, uh, it's coming back to me. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah.
0: Real piece yeah, of shit. It's coming back. Real piece of shit. And so's the director, John, whatever his name is. I can't think of his name, but he's a real piece of shit too. Um he, and, and they say he's a chief or whatever. But let's not get into that. Let's not even get into that. But uh but Chris, yeah. not to not to distract from you. Um yeah. so one, I mean, don't you know, that's 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 the life of a cop though. Like we I, I stepped in uh I was in tier two, I was in impact. I got abused too when I first came out. <laughs> like Eric, we all did. You know, oh, yeah. Eric did. Everybody like that's the kind of welcome into the police department. Kind of break the boy. Everybody calls you a rookie. This, you know, and that's how you know that people like you and and they care about you. You know, I I mean, I I always I always appreciate it, and I and I can take a joke because of it. You know, so uh, right.
1: And they don't they don't even do that now. I mean, there's no you know, it's not like that anymore where you have people with time on that kind of put you in place i think people come out of the academy now they got this chip on their shoulder like they got 10 years on the job so maybe it needs to be you know done more
0: yeah i mean it kind of humbles you a little bit i know it humbled me you know uh you know i gotta i you know so i i think i think it does so you go through the academy and you said you go to the seven seven originally right right
1: yeah Um, and that's where i was my whole career
0: so they stayed in seven seven your whole career. I mean, that's a rough yeah. recent. Could you describe for the audience for those who aren't cops? Could you tell them a little bit about the seven seven, where it is, yeah. what the, the the makeup
1: of it? It's uh it's Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, it's kind of like right dead in the middle of Brooklyn. Um, it's large, like West Indian community. The West Indian Day Parade during Labor Day, if you've heard, that's you know that uh background that culture is big there. Uh, Hasidic Jews. They, uh, they have a very, you know, along Eastern Parkway, they're very prevalent. And then on, uh, one end, um, of the precinct, it's somewhat affluent. There's, um, like kind of like yuppies that live there by like over by the Barclays Center. So honestly, looking back, you know, I, I think that was probably the best place for me to end up. You really get a little of everything, every walk of life. And it really prepares you for this job and who you're going to run into and, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't change a thing. I was glad that I ended up there. I, you made, I made great friends there. Uh, some of my best friends, um, you have like a real tightness working in a, in a busy house like that. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I didn't know anything. Yeah, I was a white kid from long Island. I lived a sheltered life. I didn't, I didn't know what, you know, I kind of got like my uh, knocked out of my shoes when I first got there. But, um, you got to learn quick, you know, and, and I did, and I'm grateful for it.
0: Oh, Tim, anything about, about early on?
2: Well, you know what? I'd love to cut to the chase. When you got on the job, did you have a vision in your mind that you would do 20 years on this job? Did you have a vision on your mind? You would do 25. Did you figure that you'd be a lifer, a, a long time career within the New York city police department, or did
1: you think that you were going to do five years? And it would be step to something, nah. something else. I never, I never really thought that uh, I would leave before doing, I, I, you know, I had to do 25 because I'm tier three. I thought I was going to do the 25. I had a lot of goals. Um, yeah, I wanted the collar as much as possible. I wanted to get as much experience and be a seasoned cop. Uh, I planned on taking every test that was available to me, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, go through the ranks. I wanted to have a long, fulfilling career. I didn't take this job as a job. I took it as a career and uh unfortunately um that was taken from me i didn't get to really leave on my own terms um it's st- you know it sucked uh at first i kind of was like did i make a mistake whatever where i am now i you know i'm grateful i'm happy and everything worked out but uh yeah i mean back yeah, i had no intention of staying only 5 years could you tell me about that you said that
2: you said that you you left and, and it wasn't really at your own intentions so what were the circumstances that surrounded your your moment in time where you made the decision to vest? Or were you actually put in a position where you forced to vest? How, how did we get to this point? Five years on the job. I mean, you seem like a young guy, motivated. Uh, and I mean, you seem like you're in shape. You're a guy that we want on the police department. This is what we want. And, right. And, and Chris, Chris,
0: oh. bef- before you answer that, just, yes. just could you just tell us like what you were doing as, be, as you get up to it, bring us all the way up to it. Bring us all <laughs> sure. the way up to COVID. Uh, like what you did in your career, uh, your experience, and then get us, and then bring us to it. Sorry, Eric. I just want him to, I don't want to go jump ahead. I want him to hit his career and then we, we hit into COVID, you know?
2: Yeah, no problem. And I agree. I, I, I was just curious about his mindset, just to figure out, like, you know, when he got on the job, what were you thinking? Because I, I, I do believe that the kids that get on the job now, I don't think they have the intentions of doing twenty twenty five. I think it's. I think they understand that I'm just going to get in and get out until something be- there's something else better. Yeah, but foot I in think- the
1: door, and then go to Nassau, or Suffolk, or Florida, or wherever else. Yeah. I
2: yeah. I don't
0: think that was Chris's class, though. I think that's the last several classes that came out. I think after, yeah. particularly I, in the COVID classes, and after COVID, now they're all taking the job for the training and they're bouncing. I think in Chris's time, because you got to remember, it's pre-COVID, it's pre-the DAs, not letting anybody, it's letting everybody out and not charging everyone. It's still Bill de Blasio, but New York hasn't fully fell. We're adopting all of these progressive policies, but we're still the police up until 2020 when we get exposed. So Chris is four years prior to that, right? Right. Uh, Yeah. So... So yeah, just, just, just start like, you know, just tell it, like, tell us that bring us all the way up to COVID in your career, what you did. And and we'll jump in, Eric, if you have any questions, just jump in when he's going.
1: So, um, being, you know, going from civilian to cop, it's a huge adjustment. You're nervous at first, you know, I was young. As time went on, I started to get a little bit more comfortable learning the job. I felt like I got to a point where, you know, I knew how to collar. I knew, I knew, um, I knew what to look for. Um, You know, I didn't need help with the paperwork, things like that. Then uh, slowly things started to, you know, happen. Um, You know, you start, you know, you do good work and it kind of starts to get unnoticed. You see other people in the precinct that, you know, are not as competent as you, you know, they're not um, as skilled as you and they're getting better positions inside the precinct, outside the precinct. I tried to put blinders to that. I don't like to compare myself to other people. You know, that's not how I was raised. I just, you know, continue to try to work hard and do my best and, you know, hope for the best outcome and see that, you know, maybe I, my hard work will pay off and I'll get to be somewhere, you know, doing something, you know, using the skills I think I could bring to the table. And uh, then, you know, slowly things started to happen. COVID happened. um, And, you know, that really, it was like, you know, you couldn't enforce anything, so that took that out the window. The sergeant's test I was studying for, they pushed all that back because uh, they, they just canceled everything. Decast. So I was like, you know, what am I doing? I'm just showing up to work every day. And um, you know, the George Floyd incident happened, and um, that pretty much put like the final dagger in my career. I mean, they took qualified immunity away. They uh, enacted the diaphragm law. So, you know, to be a proactive cop in New York City, just, it's not worth it. You know, I, mean, I, I came to the realization, I think I was old enough at that point to see, you know, this is just not worth it anymore. Um, you know, I know there's guys out there that are risking it and they're they're doing whatever and they're trying to, you know, get a spot or, you know, make a name for themselves. I mean, it, it, I can't, I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I wasn't going to put myself out there in a position to get sued and lose all the money that I worked for, and you know. Put, you know, end up maybe even losing my job and my career off. You know, what a car stop. You know, uh, some some nonsense. You know, so um, there was a there was uh, another incident that came comes to mind that I wanted to share with you guys on the show. Um, I don't know. Do I still got you guys here? I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. I this yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, my screen, might fly. So um, I don't know anybody who's listening who's not a cop. I don't. Know, they offer points. Um, if you take promotional exams, sergeant exam, lieutenant exam to do a mile and a half run in Manhattan around a track and uh, to do the JST, that's the job standard test—it's like an obstacle course. I know you guys know. So they offer like a fraction of a point that you could use towards the, uh, the sergeant's test. So, um, you know, I had done it once before I got my points and you could do one a year. So I think it was 2021 which was the year I left. Well, the year I went on leave without pay, but I'll get to that later. And um, I had got COVID. It was March of 2021. And uh, I had already signed up for the the run to do it. And I knew I was going to be out sick. So I had a friend go on log on at work and take me off the schedule. Then I was I was scheduled to come back I was on the phone with the district surgeon or whatever. And he tells me like, oh, uh, yeah, did you go to a doctor? And I said, no, I I feel fine. I had COVID. It's gone. You know, it was like a cold. He's like, this is serious. You can't, you know, you, you can't joke around with this. You have to go to a doctor. You can't come back. Okay. You know, so he gives me more time off. Because he gave me more time off, it slipped my mind. I never canceled myself from the run on the website. So now a few more weeks go by. I'm back full duty. Um, back from being sick and I had vacation and I had believed I was scheduled for this run. So I drive from long Island, you know, where I lived at the time to uh, Manhattan on a vacation day. It took me like an hour to get there, Find parking. I get there and uh, I go, you know, you line up and it's a female Sergeant there. And she's like, um, you're not on the list. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not on the list. I'm like, I signed up. I'm like, she's like, uh, says you, you know, you went out sick, you canceled. So when you cancel, we can't, we can't let you run. I'm like, I mean, I'm like, well, I'm here, you know, I, you know, let me run, you know, like I, I thought I explained to her what happened. I said, listen, I was out sick. And, you know, I just, I couldn't, you know, I I couldn't get on to cancel it. I'm at home, you know, and uh, it just slipped my mind, you know, I'm, I'm here though, you know, I'm not, you know, because I didn't cancel the previous one. I rescheduled a new one. I forgot that whole part. So she tells me she can't do it. She's like, and she's like, I can't do it. It's an integrity thing. I said, what do you mean it's an integrity thing? I said, I'm here. I'm going to run it. Obviously, I'm going to run it. I'm not like fat and out of shape. Like, I can do this right now. At this point, people are start to run around the track. And I'm sitting here like arguing with her a little bit. And uh, she turns around and gets like nasty with me and is like, you know, I'm trying to help you. And I'm like, you're trying to help me? if you're trying to help me, you just let me run right now. I don't understand what, you, what you're talking about. So uh, that was that, you know, she, her and her minions, they got in the van and, you know, at, at this point, the run was over and she's like, if you can call somebody from the, the sick desk right now, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know anybody, you know, any cop that's listening to this, you know what that's like. And somebody, a hold hold somebody on the sick desk. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get somebody in 10 minutes to answer the phone. It's going to take like an hour and a half. And uh, that was, you know, she got in the van and drove off. I drove there for nothing. I couldn't, I didn't get the points. And that kind of like put, that put a taste in my mouth. Like, like, are you kidding me? You know, that was just, that's just one little thing that happened on this job. I just wanted to share with you guys that story. But that's just like one thing over five years that.
2: I'd love to stop you right there because that's a huge problem with the job because, you know, if you were, if you were Richard Shea, I'm sure you would have been able to take that test. No problem. And I know the uh, former police commissioner, Dermot Shea, you probably listen to the podcast because it's pretty evident that uh, the police commissioner now, Keith Chan Sewell, is definitely listening to the podcast. Uh, And and that's unfortunate. That's why we we talk about nepotism and it's constant that it comes up because in a situation like that, if you had the right connections, you had the right network, if you were part of the Hispanic Society, I'm sure you would have taken that run. You probably wouldn't even have done the run. They probably would just check the box that you passed. So it's unfortunate that that happened to you, but since your last name was Messina, you didn't have an opportunity to take that test. So we know that's the truth. It's unfortunate. It, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's ridiculous. You're on your vacation time. You're going there. You're back from sick. You went out and you were sick, right? COVID supposedly saw the the worst thing in the world. So there's the but there's but anyone that had any issues from COVID, I know guys that ended up. They're on fucking oxygen still, and they don't have – and they they, they can't get three quarters. I know guys that took the shot, dropped out, fucking had strokes. Nobody's talking about it. Unions aren't talking about it. They're not line of duty. They willingly did that. It's – you know, it's the way we treat each other is awful. You're there on your own time. You have your ID. You're full duty. There's absolutely no reason you shouldn't have been asked to run. That's not a boss. That's a boss. I'm sorry. That's not a leader. That's not someone that should be in that position,
2: you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chris, that's yeah. A, that, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, here they are. They're telling you. They're telling you that COVID, the COVID is is, is the climatic, it, it's the climatic point in, in history for the New York City Police Department. The worst time that we've ever had with it with, with personnel being out sick, and it, it's so vast and it's so serious that you're out for probably a ten day period. But yet you're expected to have the the width of the, the know it all to to call to rearrange your your fitness test, but here you are. You have Kobe, Supposed to be sick, and not supposed to be uh, aware
1: This sounds ridiculous. That yeah. like they came and tried to accommodate you. Yeah. What, well, what, the kicker, <laughs> the kicker too was that also I, you know, they, it was their mess up. You know, I, your computer let me go back on and reschedule. Right. So wh- why, you know, you made the mistake. Why am I paying for your mistake? But that, that that's always been the case over my five years with the with the job. You know, it's it's always your fault. So whatever. I was used to it by then.
0: Uh, all they ha- all she had to do was go into the computer system on the Monday or later on say uh, Chris Messina was here. I verified it. here's has his tax number. Boom, and the story. Uh, I mean, come on, no.
1: absolutely. They were on a, they were in a they were in a big rush to get back to their two and a half hour lunch though. So I, I understand. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure she. I'm sure she didn't look like she did the run herself, right? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> so how
2: many points did she get? <laughs>
0: So, Chris, like you you said, at some point, like you know, you 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 were talking about like how you you came in, you were collaring. Like, what tour were you doing? Did you did you work in any other units? And you know, and and I think you said at like the onset of the George Floyd thing, like when the George Floyd riots and all that, and you saw all the anti police legislation, it kind of changes the game for you. You're like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Um, but, but yeah. take us back a little bit prior to that, like what you were doing. Cause we kind of brushed over that quick. Like what toy you did, right. did you do any units and like what your ethos is at that point.
1: So most, most of my career, I did come out and they, they put me on day tours. I don't know why, but then after some time, I had a good partner with a lot of time on who taught me the ropes and, um, you know, a, you know, as time went on though, I was getting bored, you know, I just wasn't calling. I was taking reports all day. So uh, I asked to go to four to 12s and they put me on four to 12s. Of course, they're not going to say no. Yeah, And, um, <laughs> you know, I did that most of my career. I was never in I was mostly in patrol. They kind of made like this makeshift conditions unit in like 2019. I was in that for a year up until George Floyd. And then when George Floyd <laughs> happened, like the day like that, it happened. The, my, me and my partner at the time did a car stop on like Bedford and Bergen over there. And it was like a dude in a Dodge Charger. You know, he had, um, yeah, no seatbelt on, weed in the car. You know, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Multiple violations. And as you know, I go to write them. There's like 25 people in a building across the street, like all hipsters, filming, recording, yelling shit at me. And that was kind of like, all right, uh, you know, this is just not worth it anymore. This is like, you know, this is just a safety risk for what? For a seatbelt ticket? I mean, for for weed? That's <laughs> you know, that was. Kind of, you know, and then going to the, you know, the, uh, the riots, the protests, um, it was just like, all right, you know, like, you don't want, you guys, you don't want police. You don't want us to do anything. You, you're kind of not letting me do it. I can't do anything. I mean, I'm going to be legally, I'm going to be civilly and legally liable if I do something. So why even bother anymore? You know, just go to work and collect the paycheck. And that's just not who I am. You know, I feel like I'm more ambitious than that. I have a lot more to offer and I'm still young. You know, I'm not like a you know close to retirement where all right, whatever, I'll kick up and just wait out, wait it out. So um, I was kind of getting like uh, just disgruntled, disgruntled with the job, disgruntled with the city. Um, yeah, it was, it was starting to pile up. Um, and then you know the mandate happened, and that was pretty much the straw that that broke the camel's back. That was for me, that was it. Yeah.
2: Sorry. So, uh, Chris, uh, sorry, John, just so no, first, no. let me get this straight. No, no problem. So when When COVID hits, and also uh, correlated with that, the George Floyd riots. You know, this this all happens simultaneously. So at this time, you had about four years on the job. Am I right?
1: Right, yeah. About four, four and a half. Yeah, four, yeah.
2: So uh, up to this point, right, up to this point before you get COVID and then before George Floyd hits, obviously this is the pinnacle moment where the career starts to change. And, And that's what's so sad is how drastically it changed it was a matter of like seconds. The job did a complete 180. I mean, there were things that were gearing and headed towards that direction, but that was just a complete 180. But prior to that, how did you feel about your career? So at this point, you have four years on the job. I mean, obviously, it sounds like you were pretty motivated. You did a quasi-type conditions thing. So how did you feel about your four years up to that
1: point? I felt like you know if there was things I liked about the job and there was things I didn't like about the job. Um, it was a hard job I felt like, but overall I was willing to stick it out and deal with the hard stuff, you know, to get through to the 25 year mark to accomplish things. You know, I wanted to accomplish things in my career. That was the whole point. And, um, really 2020 like COVID and then George Floyd. And then the following year, the man, like those things in that order that just, it killed any, any ambition that I had. And, uh, you know, that that was really, really, that was like the change of point. You really solidify
2: what I've been talking about. So things start to mount up, right? It's not it's not just once one incident, right? It's 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 just kind like one incident on your back. There's another one one after that. It's yeah. you know it's COVID. It's George Floyd. I'm going to assume you sound like you're pretty active. That you probably were facing civilian complaints. Were you? Yeah. And it, 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 if you were, was that also a contributing factor? Because obviously, you know, that was a huge factor for me. It was. Yeah. I mean, it was I tell you mean, by.
1: Please, if you yeah. can go with them. So they, uh, you know, I had, you know, when I was in that conditions team, you know, I, and also just regular patrol, you know, I would have, I had CCRBs and, you know, every cop has CCRBs. And it's, it's like, it's not explained to anybody, you know, that's a civilian or from other police agencies. Like, these don't mean anything. Like, you know, they're, they're just words written by some college student. They really mean nothing. Like, you know, don't take like misconduct. Like they just throw this word around. Like it's nothing, you know, I'm not a criminal. I'm not like this, cr- like Michael Dowd, corrupt cop. Right, I was out there enforcing law in a rough neighborhood. I encountered a lot of violent felons and I made you know, I used physical force. I took enforcement action. I wrote summonses. I made I made arrests and you know, this is their way of getting back at you. This complaining. So I had, you know, a few complaints that were just total nonsense and they were substantiating them. And I felt like I couldn't fight. I had no ground to fight, you know, because the delegates and the lawyer that they get, you know, oh, just sign here, kid. There's nothing we can do for you. That's kind of like the the mentality of it. it, it there's, that's kind of like they, they're not they don't want you to fight it. They don't want they just, you know, it's easier to just oh, whatever, you know, it is what it is. And just wipe the hands clean. Just move on. You know, so- meanwhile, that's your name, though that's your name up there. You know, that's your name online. You know, when after when I, I only realized that when I left the job, you know, it cost me law enforcement jobs. They see this. And I had a chief from another department in Connecticut. He was all, I explained everything to him on zoom. I, I went through each CCRB. I told him exactly what happened. He was cool with it. And then it gets the city council. Like, no, we can't hire this guy. You know? And, you know, you know they, they, it, it's crazy that they get—they basically get away with, like, libel, the city. Well,
2: that's why it's, it's my opinion, and we've spoke about this before, that it's not its not only just that you're unattractable to civilian – I'm sorry, to police jobs, but you're also unattractable to civilian jobs because this is public information. So now you're 58, and you said it's just words, and so that's the problem. For for the Civilian Complaint Review Board, it's its words that they weaponize. But for us, I mean, it, it's, it's the change in your life. Here it is, I mean – they, they investigate. They have the authority to investigate abuse of authority. So I've had some, several substantiated complaints against myself in regards to arrests, perpetrators of shootings, robberies, firearms. And there was times where I was found guilty of abuse of authority. Now, if you're a law enforcement professional in another agency and you look at that or if you're not a law enforcement professional and you look, it sounds terrible. Wow. This cop abused his authority. And like you said, words like misconduct. And they weaponize it. It sounds terrible. So I, I do understand in their position, they must say, wow, I mean, this this cop was convicted, right? Or yeah. determined to be guilty of misconduct. And, and these other departments have to understand, and, and for other civilians, they're on the assumption, well, these people are trained and that they're, actually, they're actually doing oversight critical thinking of cops and police officers they must be correct but john and i have exposed that's just total bullshit and total nonsense and john knows it because mm-hmm. john was the co he was the liaison to eternal affairs and ccb no one has seen more bullshit than john yeah
0: yeah <laughs> chris could you could you explain to, uh to us without giving specific dates or names could you tell us you know just give us the the biggest bullshit CCRB that you got, that you were like, this is ridiculous. Uh,
1: And and your experiences
0: too in the interview.
1: So they actually substantiated the CCRB after I vested out, after I was put on leave without pay, they kicked me to the curb. And then all the cops that were involved, like texted me like, Hey, they, uh, they, they substantiated the CCRB against you. I'm like, really? I'm like, I'm struggling to get a job to begin with. Now I need this shit. (laughs) But I'm like, I called them up. I'm like, can you take this down? Like I left already. Can you just leave me alone? Like, you know, so what happened? The event was it was it was like a freezing day in February. Uh, Two guys I work with. I was with my partner driving around. It was nighttime. And they two guys I work with had a car stop and they had the two people out of the car. It was a man and a woman. And they looked like they were dressed up. They were like going out like it was probably a weekend night and they were drinking or whatever and um you know we're de- we're helping them deal with this car stop they're getting out the woman is getting irate whatever um as we're dealing with them on the opposite side of the street is another woman sitting in her car at a fire hydrant screaming at us and i think this is like i don't remember what this is like around the time of the anniversary of a cop that died or something like a cop got shot it was like one of those times you know where it was on the news and this woman yells, this is why this is why y'all get killed. This is why y'all get shot. And people are like forming on the street watching, you know, so, you know, surrounding. So they finish their car stop. I say, OK, I go over to her license registration insurance, get her information. OK, she doesn't have I think it was a valid insurance card, whatever. I go, I write her from right being on the hydrant. I write her for whatever, her paperwork not being up to date, and I write her disorderly conduct. I gave, I gave her, I you know, I hit her with everything because, you know, I mean, you're you're drawing, you're taking my attention away from this other car stop. CCRB said that I wrote her retaliatory summonses. They substantiated that, was, that against me. I got that too, man. <laughs> yeah, Retali- Retaliatory summons is like I make that shit up and it never happened. All those things happened. You did them. Even the guy at CCRB said to me, he was like, After the fact, he's like, you know, if that woman just like minded her own business, she would have never wrote her any tickets. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, and then they, and then I get this, I get this substantiated. It's like it's like a joke. It's a joke.
0: So CCRB expects a police officer to be berated on the street to allow someone to sit at a park fire hydrant. Not, no big deal. To allow someone to act disorderly, cause a crowd to form to detract your attention, distract you and you to do absolutely nothing about it. That is New York city. I'm just, I, I just got a, a LinkedIn message now and I see that uh, chief Corey's coming out big time against uh, Alvin Bragg all of a sudden. So weird, but he didn't do it when he was the chief of department. So nobody cares what he has to say, you know? And, and, and that's what, and that's what I'm saying with, with you. Like this is, absolute nonsense did anyone come to baffle you did any were there any executives to say you got substantiated what what's the end so like what was the end result of that one because the police commissioner makes final determination do you know
1: oh uh, well with that with that one uh, <clears throat> it did, you know i was already i was already off the job so i'm like all right you know they so they had it i i made a call to um the pba attorney i'm like listen i'm like i retired Put on there, make them put on there that it says I retired because it just says that it's like open on there, like it's an open. Now it looks like there's an open investigation, and I'm applying for these like other jobs and stuff, you know. And it's just not helping. So they actually, I guess they got in touch with the CCRB guy and they did change it within like a day or two. But
0: I mean, but that's I mean, always that, on there. I mean, like like yeah. Eric. Eric got substantiated. Eric, did you have anything reduced that was substantiated by CCRB?
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely haven't, not. no. haven't had oh, no. anything reduced, right? No. So,
0: so the whole thing that uh, the, the police commissioner comes out with, that she's going to reduce penalty, Oh, uh, she, she's looking now, she said she's going to reduce and she's going to look at some cases. I mean, here's, here's one right there. What's a retaliatory summons? I don't even know what that means.
2: You, it's you funny mean, to say that. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, John.
0: No, no, no. What is it? I don't know. Do you, do
2: you know? No, it's the same thing because I'm a lieutenant. And obviously I didn't write summonses. I did make stops, but on two separate occasions, I was actually substantiated on part of other substantiations, substantiated allegations for that particular case. Because so I would say, the case is like a folder. And in that folder, you have numerous allegations. And in two separate cases that I had, I got retaliatory summons. And one of them was retaliatory arrest. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I said, well, how do I have a retaliatory summons? I mean, what am I retaliating against? I mean, right. wouldn't I have to wouldn't I have... To <laughs> Would I have to have something against them, or have a pattern of dealing with this person? Like, you know, yeah. it's not <laughs> this person committed an offense, and that's something which yeah. they don't understand. And John, you just articulated perfect. They don't understand disorderly conduct. They don't understand space. No, I tried to explain to them how we've had you know groups and crowds and that they're within 10 feet proximity. And they tell me that that's a good distance. They completely don't understand safety. I mean, even, and that's why the police department has failed us. They don't back us. What do they treat, teach you in the academy, that you should give 21 feet distance to someone if they have a knife in their hands. So how do you not know when there's a crowd of 10, 20 people screaming in your face, who has a knife or who doesn't. And we're going to give these people space. Uh, we're going to give these people enough space that they're in close proximity, that they're standing on our backs that's why I again I said the terrible investigators they don't give police officers the benefit of doubt and it's totally punitive. So in this article that just came out with Police Commissioner Key Chan Sewell, I hope that she's actually real in what she's saying. But honestly, I'm I'm very skeptical. I do appreciate I have gratitude that there is at least some initiative more than her predecessor, which I could say who actually was part of you know in the initiation of this doctrine or document. But I'm really skeptical. I think they're going to go after small things, right? You know, the Right to Know Act, showing business cards, but actually getting them depth. You know, when you're here, you are, you're doing police work that your commanding officers, is asking you to go out there, particularly in the 7 7 precinct to curb crime, right? On a stop. You're writing summonses. You're doing exactly what they're asking you to do, and then they don't stand up to help you. And probably by the time that that was investigated, I bet your CO was gone anyway. Am I right? He was probably out of the command anyway.
1: That's why I would say they're I, guests I even business. I, I don't honestly, I don't remember, but I do want to say uh, another thing about back to Seawill. There was another, another CCRB I had that was substantiated. I was working with one other cop. I won't get into the details of it, but essentially uh long story short, we use physical force to take him down. And, um, they said that, uh, you know, it was the use of force was unjust or whatever they whatever verbiage they use. She wrote the guy I was with a letter. What are those letters called? The, You know, the that they're like, letter of instruction. Yeah. letter 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 of instruction. So she wrote him one. The
0: police commission?
1: Yeah, yeah, but not but not for me. So I called the PBA lawyer. This is after I left the job, so I was just like, Why uh why does he get a letter and I don't (laughs) Wait, wait, (laughs) wait, but what was
0: the letter? Was it a disciplinary letter? Like a letter of
1: it was it was like I I, know, like I reviewed, you know, what, what they did and he did nothing wrong. Him, not me. Oh, okay. not you, because you're on vaccine. Not me. <laughs> well, the uh, the answer I got from the PBA lawyer is because I had another uh, substantiated use of force CCRB. So that, so that, that matters
0: that, of what happened that day. So yeah, so yeah, that day, yeah, I guess the they, other time matters. I, I mean, yeah. Listen, I'm gonna tell both of you. I'm gonna tell both of you. I'm gonna tell every cop listening. I, I you can't sue CCRB because you know why they have qualified immunity. So that's just, uh, but, <laughs> but, not. I would say, especially you, Eric, and and even you, Chris. I would, I would, I would want my case files. Send me my case files, redact the and info. I don't give a shit. I want to see what was written. I want to see what was retaliatory. I want to see how you concluded that my stop was retaliatory. How did you come to that conclusion? I want my case files. I would 100% foil that. I would call the foil desk. I'm telling everybody out there. That's what you should do. You should have that So hunt. I did.
1: I did. Okay. I, requ- I requested, and, uh, you know, yeah, we'll get back to you. Like It was like some crazy – it was like a year away, and I haven't heard anything. And, I mean, what are they, they're going to send me back a piece of paper that's all blacked out with, like, five words on it, you know, that well-redacted. I,
0: I still want to see it. <laughs> like, I want to know why, what was retaliatory about what I did. And I'll put it out there online for you. It's absolutely that, ridiculous. It's absolutely That's
2: why I'm very skeptical. That's why I'm very skeptical of the com- of commissioner's position right now. Like, listen, she, you know, according to the Post, the article that she, you know, she wants to intervene and she wants to impede and I- intercede in the process right now. But the problem is because of the disciplinary matrix, John, he couldn't get that letter because he's – he already had yeah. what's considered – you already had what's considered a discipline history. So now you can't get a presumptive penalty or a mitigating factor. They had to give you an aggravating factor. So CCRB creates their own algorithms. So they looked at his record. They said, oh, well, Officer Messina has had substantiated other command disciplines, and and he's used force. And now since he's used force again, we can't give him a CD, or, which is a command discipline, or a letter of instruction. Immediately, you would have been substantiated charges. And here's the problem with that. Even though you retired, civilly, right, they can't affect you with the job administratively. You can't be put on any level uh, levels of monitoring. But someone can make a federal lawsuit against you uh, up to three years from the time that you had an encounter with them. So once you're substantiated for a civilian complaint, in most cases, unless it's a riot because Chief Monahan's involved, they're not going to indemnify you, which means you're going to have to get your own representation. And hopefully the union will still re- represent you during the time of retirement. And, and I'm not yeah, sure. I, I, I won't count on it. I, I'm not a betting man, but I wouldn't bet on that one.
1: But, no, but, I, but, they weren't they, they there for me the whole, when I was working there. Why would they be there for me now? So,
0: But wait, but I just want to back <laughs> up on something. She didn't give a letter of instruction. She gave, no. uh, she gave a reduced penalty. She didn't give a letter of instruction. She gave a reduced penalty. Right. But that kid that has that letter from her and you don't have the letter because, uh, Whatever reason you're, because only vaccinated Blue Lives Matter, you know that we're gonna change that organization's name too. Um, um, so you don't have that letter, but he has that letter. But when you look up his his CCRBs, he has a substantiated CCRB, even though it was reduced, which is it'll always be. And I don't know if you guys seen what I put out today, but Copwatch was blasting uh, Sewell for that for that. For that uh for that she said that she's gonna start to reduce penalties and she's gonna look at the disciplinary matrix. That's policy right? And so Cop Watch goes, these are the criminals in blue, the NYPD commissioner Keychan L. Sewell is protecting. FTP, meaning fuck the police, right? I had to say I had to get a fuck in that, right? And then uh this Those is the different. reason Cop Watch exists and other watch groups. Top of the list. 115 allegations. Lieutenant at the at the police service area seven forced to retire Eric S Dim top of the list so they put him on there and you know it's so like this is something that Eric's going to carry forever this is obviously something that cost you a job in another scenario in in another district right this is it's it's absolutely ridiculous absolutely ridiculous
2: and, that, and that's what that's my argument Chris. so I totally understand your position because I've had other cops that work for me in special ops. And they decided to relocate. Actually, I had one cop to take. I don't want to give his name. But he relocated to Florida before he landed a job. He, him and his family, his wife and his kids, He already made the decision. They were going to Florida. And he figured it was an open market. He figured, I'm NYPD. I'm not, I'm doing spe- I'm special operations. He was also actually, he's still a reservist, uh, actively in the military, Always, co- always active with the military, wearing both hats. And he went to Florida. I would say, Maybe about six to nine months, he struggled getting jobs because of his civilian complaint review board record. And here, he was a proactive police officer, a great cop, and he had to come back. Unfortunately, he came back because he had to feed his family. But he struggled with jobs and because of civilian complaints. And in some of those cases, he actually won those cases just as I did, but it still said substantiated. And these departments of Florida, they didn't understand that. So, well, if you were found not guilty administratively, why does it still say substantiated? So- it, 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 this 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 is where we need to make the change so i'm calling you out commissioner key Sewell you said you want to make the change that's where the change needs to be if a cop is substantiated for a civilian complaint and there is a mitigating fel- penalty which means reduced or found not guilty that needs to come off their record also there needs to be some type of time period some statute limitations if a ccrb is on your record for more than five years, that should, come, whether it's substantiate, unfounded, whatever the disposition is, it's my opinion that after five years, that should be removed. Because after five years, you're not the same cop as you were before. You evolve, you change, you get better. And if you don't get better, you should be removed from the job. So this is absolutely I mean, ridiculous yeah. that we're in this position. Yeah. So
0: sorry to go on a rant with that, Chris. I think I think you just <laughs> flared up some things that were going on today. Uh It's um, okay. I love it.
2: Yeah, I got yeah. PTSD from this.
0: Yeah, this, this is this is Eric's heart, bro. He says easier on me. You know, this is why yeah. I listen.
1: This is, is why I listen for. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, so so Chris, let's let's uh, so take us back. Like you said, you know, you are working during yeah. COVID, it it you know talk. Bring us to the mandate. Bring us like your mindset yeah. now. Your, your mindset. You 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 hear the mandates coming. Where are you? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah. Well, just, you know, first, like with the whole COVID thing to begin with, I was already skeptical I just didn't believe that, you know, the half the things that I thought everything was just nonsense. All the, you know, the masking and the testing. And I just thought that none of that is effective. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, yes, I mean, people got very sick and died. Okay. But I don't think we know everything about it. And for you to kind of like treat people like a pariah, that it's it's ridiculous i think it's just totally unnecessary and we're only starting to realize this now but um you know there was all the things with the with the little you know it started i think with like the teachers were the first people that had to get uh vaccinated and um i knew like at that point that it was coming that they, they i'm like it is going to happen i didn't think it was going to happen as soon as it did with the nypd i was kind of naive even thinking it was going to take a little longer. But uh, like, it was like October 20th, 2021 or something like that. I wake up and uh, de Blas- you know, Bill de Blasio uh, says, you know, whatever, NYPD, FDMY mandate. And you had to get the shot by uh, November 1st or whatever it was. If not, you have to do a religious or a medical exemption. And um, basically you have like 10 days to decide. And obviously most people are going to do the medical and the religious exemption. But I just felt that that was, like, the fakest, like, bending over for this job thing that you could do. I was like, I'm not going out that way. There's no way. Because I'm going to put this thing in. I'm going to get worked to death through the winter, the summer, whatever. And then they're just going to deny my thing anyway. I don't know anybody on this job. My father is not a chief. You know who the hell am I to them? You know I'm just a the number. They'll find somebody below me with the shittier contract that's making forty two thousand dollars a year, like twenty thousand dollars less than me, to do the same job. So why that, Why do they need me for? You know they're just going to can me. So I said forget it. You know I'm going to take a chance on myself. I was already kind of dabbling with the idea of going to other departments. And uh, I said, forget it. You know, I'm not doing this. I, I, don't, I didn't even think they were going to kick me anyway. I really thought I was going to show up to work and they were just going to, like, let me work. It's too busy there to send somebody home. And they sent me home. I was, <laughs> I was like, shocked that they actually sent me home when I showed up to work. Like, yeah, you, you're not vaccinated and you don't have a, uh, an exemption. You have to go home. So, oh, well. <laughs>
0: And, and you and you talked. We talked a little. We talked a little offline about why you wouldn't put an exemption in. Could you just share that too? Like, what was your, your thought process on that? Because I, I heard that a lot too, where it was like, "Well, they're using this as a strategy." And could you just, you know, it,
1: it is a hundred percent a strategy by the NYPD for manpower. They knew if they told six thousand or nine thousand cops, whatever the unvaccinated number was, you need to get the shot by this day there were things that could, so many people would just either vest out quit you could you know stop writing summonses you could do the blue flu there's a million th- we would have had the city by the balls but unfortunately there's no leadership the PBA is totally controlled by the city they they know this and they did it i mean it was the art of war they they knew exactly what they were doing they they did the exemptions because people were going to see that as this is my get out of jail free card and they're going to stick their head in the sand and forget about it until they get denied And that's exactly what happened. As time went on, after I left, people said, you made a big mistake. You should have done the exemption, whatever. And then a few months go by, and their exemption gets denied. And now they got seven days, too, to make a decision. You're going to get the shot, or you're going to leave the job? And I just felt like, you know what? I'm delaying the inevitable by doing this. I'm giving them what they want. I'm delaying the inevitable. If I stay with this job and continue to work, I'm never going to get a day off. I'm never going to have any time to, like, you know, you know, plan to like, you know, relocate and get another job. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get time off. So I said, you know, forget it. I had money saved in the bank and I was like, you know what? Forget this job, you know, whatever. They could have it. If they send me, if, yeah, I didn't even, I honestly did not think they were going to actually follow through. How many times the NYPD says they're going to do something and they don't, they don't really do it. I really thought I was just going to show up to work and just work that day. And I was in for overtime too. I was like, it was like my day off. I got got sent home and they still didn't pay me for that day. So if anybody is listening in the NYPD, you can send me two checks in the mail, one for the day that I showed up and you didn't pay me. And then another one for when I had to hand in my gun and shield 10 days later and be humiliated. Wow. You know, it's, it's amazing to me.
2: I hear the story because, you know, John, John, John has been a huge advocate for this. And he, he, he really does have religious beliefs of why he doesn't want to take the, take the vaccine. But I think and I agree with you, though, it, it shouldn't matter if you have religious beliefs or medical beliefs that it, they kind of they boxed everybody in to have two positions. You, you either have to have a religious belief or a medical belief to not get this vaccine. But
1: you know, you, yeah, well, what, what about right and wrong? What, what about right. just morality? What about you well, that's know, what I I'm saying. this position? Yeah, that's that was why my I commend point.
2: you. Yeah, I commend you because you're saying, well. Don't box me into these two spots here, religious but what if I just don't like needles? Or what if I just don't like the idea of being forced to do something that I'm not sure what you asked me to do? Because the research has yeah. had not been administered and implemented by that point so I agree with you I think it, what if he just said hey listen well, I just don't want it and if they said why I don't know I just don't want it nah. so yes. I really respect you for that I commend you I commend you and John for taking a stand and I do agree John when you said back of, of him getting that letter not getting the letter with his partner you not being vaccinated I do think probably had something to do with it I'm sure there's a nexus there's a connection there because there's only so many coincidences in life come on we, we, we all uh. know
0: no, they're, they're yeah, yeah the unvaccinated, the most marginalized people in New York City
1: history ever,
0: I, I, and, that, include, and that goes through everything, every, every every time in history. Sorry, Chris, what were you saying?
1: I just, I, you know, I want to say it wasn't like, oh, I just don't want to do this just because. I mean, the whole thing, you know, a it proved they proved at that point it didn't work. It's ineffective. I'm getting this for no reason. I'm getting this for something that has like a one in twenty million chance of dying from. Um you know and and you can't tell me that you you came out with this in like less than a year how you cannot tell me you know what's going to happen to me 5 years down the line 10 years down the line once i get this shot it's over there is no going back and what, what, i had i decided is, it, is am i going to keep this job for this this job that i've sacrificed a lot for i've given up a lot for or am i going to move on and i decided to move on what what kind of what kind of uh
0: Breaking up a little, Eric. Chris, you still there? No, no, I'm
1: I'm here. Yeah, he broke up though. Yeah, you,
0: you, Chris, uh, Eric, if you hear us, you froze. So I, I'm I'm just gonna jump on something too. With uh, so when we spoke offline, you spoke on something, and I've heard it before, and it makes a lot of sense to me. And I always do say, it doesn't matter if it's your religious belief, the reason you didn't want to take it. If it's your medical reason that you don't want to take it or if it's a philosophical reason, it just doesn't make sense to you in your head and you don't want to take it. So I always put in philosophical for that. And, you know, and a lot of people said and and Bravest for Choice was a big proponent of this as well, where they talked about we shouldn't need an exemption. There's no reason that we need an exemption for this. I don't I, we shouldn't have to put an exemption and the city's going to use the exemption process as a strategy to trickle us out through attrition. They'll take in new academy classes where they require the shot and they'll you know let's get rid of 200 guys a month let's get rid of a hundred guys a month. whatever is sustainable right so that way I, I so i i agree i always did agree i agreed with it but i i didn't know the legality on it and i was very familiar with the legality of religious exemptions and i do i do believe that a philosophical whether you're religious or not whether you're an atheist or you you don't believe in god or Whatever I do, believe your philosophical is your ethos, and it, it is a, a belief of yours. It is your religion. It's who you are. It's your conscience telling you something. And I, I believe that my conscience is God. I do. I believe that I'm. I, I have a conversation with somebody. I do. Whether that makes me a wacko or not, I don't know. Maybe I'm a wacko, but that's no. that's that that's no. That, no. But that's how I feel about it, and I feel yeah. the same with the philosophical. So I, that's why I didn't. I didn't go with that, but I did agree that we shouldn't even need it because there wasn't. A, we've never even been told what the point of it is.
1: We've right. never even been ever no. told. I I agree. I'm a I'm a you know I'm a religious person. I believe in God and Jesus Christ. But I mean that to me the the ex, the exemption was a farce. To me that was that was just a tool for them. That that did not help anybody that applied for one. It may have bought you time. But that's it. Unless you really, unless you knew someone on the job, I, I really didn't think it was gonna do anything.
0: No, I, I, I agree with you. So, so you stick to your guns. You mm-hmm. stick to your guns. You're like, I'm not putting this in. They're not gonna do this. This is bullshit. I mean, everybody caves. I, met, I was in one PP at the time. The guys are coming, lining up. Boom, getting shots. Hundreds of guys for three days in a row until that thing. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing.
2: I couldn't the tsunami believe. hit my phone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I He's couldn't back. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. But uh, you know, so so now you're like I'm sticking to my guns. They like you said they humili- they humiliated you, right? They first of all they treated yeah. you like a pariah. You had to get vaccinated, yeah. you had to get ma- masked and tested, which never made any sense. You know, mm-hmm. the guys that originally took the shot were getting covid again. You know, have you ever gotten covid again since?
1: Uh, not since the first time, no, not that I know of, yeah. And and
0: and, and I know all my vaccinated friends, uh, the guys, especially the guys as they take the boosters, they I know guys that have COVID six, seven times, you know. Mm-hmm. And the guys that are real believers in this, they're now they're on the Biavolent booster, they get COVID like immediately after. It's like, oh wow, shocker, you know. Um, so you never had COVID again, they take your gun and shield, and then they put you on leave without pay status,
1: yeah. So for. For two and a half months, I was I was not receiving a paycheck from the NYPD. I, I had health insurance, but they didn't tell me I had health insurance, um, and they didn't give me any timeline on when or if I would get my job back.
0: And then and then what happens? How do you come to the point where you could retire? Because I was told I'll tell you right now. I was told that if my exemption was denied. I would be put on leave without pay, and I wouldn't have the option of vesting at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of misinformation. They did; they weren't going to tell you anything you wanted to hear because they just wanted you to shut up and get the shot. They yeah. wanted to make it as scary as possible for you to just, I'm going to get the shot. So they were just straight up lying and telling people you couldn't vest out, you couldn't retire if you went on leave without pay, which is a lie. We all know there's labor laws in this country. This is not – Yet, like, uh, you know, a country where you're just going to work for free and not be compensated. They can't do that. So you can go on Leave Without Pay Invest Out. That's what I did. And I was on Leave Without Pay for like two and a half months. And um, late January, I got a letter in the mail from the city of New York. And it said, um, you have until, I think it was February 11th to get the shot. You know, we know you're on Leave Without Pay. If you don't get the shot, um, you're, you're going to be terminated. Your employment will be terminated with the city. So at that point, it was like an easy decision for me. It's like, all right, yeah, I'm not getting the shot, so <laughs> I don't care. So I'm just going to mess out.
2: And I was hey, able. Chris, to. Chris, Chris, the uh, t- tell me what that day was like. So you, you, so obviously you said you came to work and you, so you pretty much thought they were bluffing, right? So yeah. just tell me what that day was. That day was like you came to work, and here you are that day you got dismissed. What what do they do? Do they bring you to the admin office? Did the CEO talk to you? I mean, did they just basically just kick you in the ass? I mean, how did they treat you? What did it feel like? Here you Uh, are, you're you're five years on the job, working at the 7-7, putting your ass on the line in legit streets. I mean, the 7-7 is no joke. I mean, mm -hmm. and here you are, you're sitting at the vaccine, and one day, it's just, it's just, oh, how did they treat you? What
1: what was it like? I'll be honest, you know, 7-7, for the most part, had some really good bosses, and everybody was very respectful. A lot of them supported me at least you know told me you know they stand behind me whatever it wasn't it it wasn't like all right goodbye you know like (laughs) it wasn't like that at all they you know really didn't get treated like that but um yeah I mean I I can't I can't say that they really I I couldn't I couldn't say they treated me badly when I showed up but it was weird you know they did I I went to the desk hey I'm present for duty oh okay hang on one second and then I'm in the ICO's office and uh He laid it on me. You know, he was a man about, you know, he, I, you know, he told me, you know, he, somebody, some supervisor had to do it. He did it. And, uh, you know, he told me, you know, I wish you the best. I don't like to see it, you know, send a cop home, you know, not fire a cop, but, you know, this is like a, you know, sucks and it is what it is, you know?
2: So did they take a gun and shield at that point? So basically at this point, you are not
1: a cop? So, so there was, I guess like, they didn't know, like they sent me home and I guess they just thought like, oh yeah, like no, yeah, everyone's going to do the exemption, but no, apparently, (laughs) (laughs) apparently there's people like me who are just don't give a fuck and just were like, nah, I'm not, let's play this game. And, um, they, I guess like, were like panicking, like, oh shit, this guy's got a gun and shield and an ID card and we just sent him home. Like, so, and me and other people. So I guess they were like, came up real quickly, like 10 days later oh, you have to come and get it. And people were like, oh, you shouldn't go there. Like, forget that, whatever, you know, make them come to you. I'm like, why? So they can say that I went AWOL and then suspend me and then fire me. And then I can't run. Then I'm totally screwed. I can't get a job. I, I, was, I was like, no, I'll just show up. I'll give them what they want. And I told them, you, you keep the box, too, that it comes in. Uh, they're like, no, you can keep the box. So
2: Wow. So so here you are. You're, you're five years on the job. I mean, you did conditions. Yeah. You were out there, hit the streets, and, and one day's time of you not taking the vaccine. I, I got to be honest. I thought the same thing you did. I, I thought that they were bluffing. I, th- I, I, I guess, John, 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 you never thought they were bluffing. You thought this was serious. I, I said to myself, there's no way. Like, I had the same mindset you had. Like, it, it's just, here we are, we pretty short staff. The streets are crazy. There's no way that we're going to let cops go over a vaccine. And uh, they, they doubled down. They just, I mean, they, they stuck to it. And just showed that you, here you are, you're a number. So at this point, Were you already in in talks with other departments, or other professions? You did you already have your foot out the door?
1: You kind of like at the point where. Yeah, Yeah, I started started interviewing. I thought it was just going to be easy. You know, I was a cop in the NYPD. I worked in a busy area, and I'll have a job in no time. And uh, it didn't work out that way. You know, I I interviewed a few times. I thought I did well, but um, you know, I just wasn't getting anywhere. So I started to realize, all right, I need to bring money in because I'm going to start. I'm going to burn money fast. So, um, I, d- I had no idea what to do. You know, I dedicated the last five years of my life. I have no skills really. You know, I have no side business. I have no time to run a side business or anything. You know, what am I going to do? So, uh, I actually ended up being like a Santa Claus because it was December. It was like $30 an hour in big lots. And I dressed up as like the Santa I had kids sitting on my lap, all that. That's so awesome. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it like, I, I went from being a cop to being a, mall santa claus but whatever you know you gotta do what you gotta do and uh i worked then like later on i got a job with a security firm i worked in an office and i realized real quickly this i'm not an office person i can't sit and do this you know and it wasn't like a career job anyway it was more just like a temporary for the next to just go to another department
2: so could you tell the the this the, the message that john and i have been getting out to the cops out there particularly those that are proactive, like yourself, that were doing conditions. If For the proactive cops that are out there right now, they're starting to get their records pepped up for civilian complaint review board. They're self-reporting TRIs for using forces yourself. So here you are. You went to interview for other departments because I'm sure there's other cops right now that are on the fence, they're proactive, and they're thinking about making that relocation. What are the type of roadblocks you hit with these other departments based on your record being pepping up with civilian complaints or not taking the vaccine? What type of roadblocks did you hit? with this job especially with the 58 how did it affect you
1: um, i'm going to say to anybody listening if you are planning on leaving go get your pepper as soon as possible go to your ico request that you get your your uh, pepper you know your your form that has like all your training and all your ieb investigations you will never get that if you vest out they will not give that to you they gave me the hardest time all the departments i applied to gave them the hardest time and now it's just your word versus what's on CCRB, what's online. Because if you get the pepper, it will say that there was no IAB investigations. They were just CCRBs. But I didn't have that. So it's now my word versus what somebody wrote about me online. Wait,
0: and wait, wait. wait, wait. Your ICO I- wouldn't give you your pepper?
1: They said that because I was already vested. What does that mean?
0: It's your personal information. You were on the job.
1: They said I wasn't in the – or no, I wasn't – I was I was on leave without pay at this point. I wasn't in the system.
0: Oh, they took you out of – so he didn't have access to it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He, and, I, and I didn't – I didn't I even talk you. to – I spoke to the, the cop that works and, – and she's – I don't think she would lie to me. I think she genuinely couldn't get – she would have gave it to me if she could give it, but – if you, were, if you
0: were removed from the system, yeah, 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 that yeah. makes sense. It wasn't because they didn't they, they, they wouldn't give it to you. They didn't have access at, at your precinct. But the job mm-hmm. should be able to give that to you, no problem.
1: Oh yeah, but that is your information.
0: That is your history.
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, they, they everybody I, do me any favors.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's the thing. They're like, "Fuck you, sue me." Like, and that's what they're using right now, you know. And that's why I believe the whole thing. I mean, listen we had a police commissioner the weakest police commissioner ever in NYPD history he 1000% supported the funding the police then he comes in and tells de blasio we could operate with twenty five percent less guys, so put the mandate in place. All we got to do is get it up to seventy five percent vaccinated, and we could get rid of twenty five percent. This is the guy we had running this department. I mean, he was a he was he had the Like De Blasio has big, gawky, awkward hands. It must have hurt like all the way up Dermot Shea's ass, moving his mouth for him. Because I, I I I and I still question. I want to know what Chiefs. I want to know what commissioners I want to know what high rankings have exemptions oh but you know why we can't know that HIPAA law but everybody could know Chris Mazzina's vaccination status they could know my vaccination status they could know Eric's vaccination status I mean they broke so many laws and even with the labor law I mean honestly dude what would you put on leave without pay for you would never charge with anything
1: right I didn't have any departmental trial
0: so, so I couldn't even trust that. I was like, I'm not going. I was like, once they told me that, if you go on, leave, I believed it. Because I'm like, it, it kind of made sense to me. It kind of made sense yeah. to me. I was like.
1: They they gave me such a hard time every step of the way. When I just requested documents or I wanted to, you know, um, go to the trial. I asked, send me to the trial room. I'm about to vest out this week. Send me to the trial room because I want this off the website. They refused. I mean, they, they gave me the hardest time. But once I left it was like the biggest <laughs> relief off my show, like I don't have to deal with this anymore, you know? I'm done. I don't have to deal with this anymore. Hey Chris,
2: I don't think I don't even think you realize how valuable the information that you just gave out. Because I don't think a lot of cops understand that how important it's to get that pepper so you actually know what's on your record and
1: yeah, it and, is. And, um, places so you, won't you actually, hire you. A lot of places will not hire you if you
2: don't if you don't have that. So when you had that, what what type of roadblocks did you hit? What did you what were some of these things question that you you're were You were able to use that to say, "Hey, well, I have this?" And or this case was closed. What, what I didn't have it. You didn't. didn't have it.
1: Yeah, I didn't even have it. You know, if I had it, I would have easily been able to say, "Hey, you know, this is this is the truth." Internal affairs is is the investigating body of the NYPD, not CCRB. I have a clean IAB record. I had no time taken from me. I had one CD in my career, warned and admonished. That's it. I never ever received discipline from the NYPD, but if you look on this 50A website, it looks like I've been almost collared. You know, compared to the truth. So, you know, it, these are these are important things that if you are thinking of leaving the job, you definitely need to know this stuff because you're never so going to get it
2: if you. What when you were
1: interviewed by other jobs,
2: whether it was security, I know you said you did a security firm or other law enforcement uh, jobs. Did they ask you about these cases? Did they know about the 50A? Uh, did that come this, up?
1: civilian you know civilian stuff no but um the, uh, in law enforcement yeah because we all know every law enforcement job to do a pretty thorough background check there if you're you come from another agency they're gonna want to know if you've had any internal investigations they're gonna want to know if you've had civilian complaints and if you lie i mean why you know you're not gonna lie they could easily find this out all they got to do is google your name in mypd and they're gonna find it right there so and uh i've you know, going through this, I think a lot of departments are they're starting to get more receptive and understand that the CCRP thing is just, like, nonsense. Like, they shouldn't even exist. It's The NYPD has IAB. Why do we have this other body that doesn't really do anything but just lie all the time? So, you know, I think it's starting to catch on, and hopefully they just dismantle that place, because they really serve no purpose.
2: Dude, that was beautiful. It's outstanding. Everything that you're saying is so viable right now. And because listen, I've been hammering this, John. I've been talking about this, but to hear it from from a police officer like yourself that actually vested out with five years on the job and how it affected you in, in, a, in a short period. Don't it. five years—it's a veteran. You get your hands, but, but still a short tenure to actually have to face this kind of stuff. So, dude, I think that was awesome. It's really valuable. I really appreciate. it. I'm sure the people listening and watching appreciate it. It's a lot of valuable information. I hope the cops understand your pepper is very important. That is your jacket that says everything about you on the job.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's it,
0: Chris. Not to retract from your story, we're gonna get right back to it. But I just want to yeah. correct the record on two things. Um, one, me and Eric were going back and forth on episode thirty about vesting with vesting in tier three, right? So, Chris and and Chris, uh, I think I said it was. I wasn't sure if it was five, and Eric said it was ten. But we're gonna correct the record because I know most of you guys don't even know. So you could vest at five and a half years, and Chris, feel free to step in if I, if, if I mess this up. You could vest at five and a half years without medical. Eric said it was 10 years to vest. So what Eric was saying, it's to fully be vested, to be vested and have medical, to be able to collect a check and have medical, you need to have 10 years of tier three. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing, Eric, do you want to speak on the city waiver? You you were right. I was wrong. Could you just explain to everybody what the city waiver was that we were talking about that was in, in Pat Lynch's campaign promises?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually experienced it myself because I, I for a two-year period of my life, I lived in New Rochelle, which is outside the city. So when you live outside the city in the uh, surrounding counties that we've been permitted to live in while, you, while you're New York City police uh, law enforcement personnel, you get a tax form which is uh, referred to as an 1127. At the end of the year, when you do your tax you so your 1040, 1099, you get 1127. And what that is, it's exactly that it's a city waiver, so that you have to, you're supposed to waive the taxes that you pay. So you pay taxes because you're not a New York City resident working in New York City. You pay an additional tax, which is called, uh, which is exactly that, it's the 1127. So I to my understanding, Pat Lynch actually campaigned to say that that would be waived. That anyone living in the outside counties would not have to pay the eleven twenty seven. I myself, I did pay the eleven twenty seven, and I I don't know why, but for some reason, supposed to, you know, I always filed the eleven twenty seven on my taxes for that two year period, and I never got any of the money back. So, uh, but that's very important, and and I'm glad that you 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 brought that up. When I was asked about that, for my understanding, uh, it it was ten years, and I did learn that at a pension seminar and other things I've read. Ten years to be fully vested. So five years, yes, you can be vested, but to be fully vested, to have a full package of medical and actually pay benefits is t- 10 years, So, which is different from tier two. Um,
0: yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for correcting that. We just want, you know, if, if and again, I appreciate everybody reaching out um, and letting us know when we screw up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% appreciate all the feedback. Um, so just keep it coming, negative, positive. We don't care. It is what it is. <laughs> We're not worried about it. Um, you know, no hard feelings. You know, it is what it is. Just say what you got to say. Um
2: Listen, I, I just want to tell the public: I I don't care to take any personal. If I'm wearing a shirt that day, I, or I don't look good in the video. Or the same thing with John. If we say something that's inappropriate or it's wrong, call us out on it. We're here to tell the truth. We want you to tell the truth. Also, tell us the truth. Listen, we won't get upset. We all have thick skin. If we say something that's inaccurate, you know what? We'll 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 chalk it up. We'll take it on the chin. We'll we'll do our research and make sure we get the. Correct, correct information out there so we're working together here we have no problem we don't take a all. we're not going to cry about it if you want to make fun of us it's all good i've been made fun of many times <laughs> yeah, and, and it doesn't so, bother me
0: and chris thanks i didn't we didn't want to cut you off and get but you know i just wanted to correct the record i thought it was a good time because we were there but can i just ask you a question did did the pba other than your delegate reach out to you at any time, during, where before you were put on leave would pay, any of that?
1: Nope. How
0: about after? Nope. Did you try to contact
1: them at all? Um, a few times. I spoke to my delegate and I spoke to a PBA attorney, but that I re- I was the one to initiate.
0: And, and did uh, you get anything valuable? No. No.
2: No. Chris, I got a question. I always wanted to ask uh, if it's too personal and you don't want to answer it, I-, I totally understand, but did the PBA ever offer you any funding to help you out during this time? Did they give you any money to help you out? Any type of severance pay from your no. dues? No. No. Okay. My uh,
1: my delegate said that he was going to get a collection for me, and I said, oh, that's great, and then he told me that nobody was interested in doing it, and uh, I said, okay, you know, whatever. I You can keep your charity. It's fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah, because um, oh, because because I because I didn't do an exemption because I asked for it. So,
0: so you you don't matter. That's what that is.
1: You yeah, don't matter. I I, did, I, you know, did Pat Lynch <laughs> pick up the phone? You know, when they said that only thirty-four cops uh, didn't do an exemption. Oh wow, There's some number. These guys are idiots. Uh, Pat Lynch didn't pick up the phone and call me, and he didn't call me for Thanksgiving or Christmas or anything when I was not getting a paycheck. So.
0: Well, I mean and, and you were the thirty four that honestly, so there was so little of you, you're the first ones they should have contacted and reached out to you, offered you some type of advice or help or or legal options or nothing.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't even think that was a real number. I think there was more and they just did they wanted to lie and like, you know, make it like only <laughs> this small amount of people didn't do an exemption. I think there was a lot more people. And actually I spoke to I can't remember who somebody in the PBA, not a delegate, and he said it was like something like five hundred. So they they just lied. they just lie nonstop. <laughs> yeah, they
0: they tried to make us feel like we were alone.
1: <laughs> I you know and you know and, and for
0: everybody, listening, this is your union. Like we pay. What what'd you guys
1: pay? What was your dues? Was it fifty bucks? Uh, it was like forty two dollars and forty something cents. I think something like that. Forty four dollars, something like that.
0: Yeah, and I think Eric labeled out they make over a million dollars a month from all those dudes. They could have easily represented yeah. all of you. The lawsuits, the initial lawsuits were all bullshit. I, like I said, I'm, I'm against COVID. I, if I was the judge, I would have threw them out too. Um, I think they were actually even surprised how far they got with the arbitrary and capricious one. I don't even think that. I, I think they were surprised about that. And I think there's things coming down the pipeline with that that people aren't going to be too happy about. And, you know, and I do think that Right now, they're in PERB, so it's not something that could be negotiated. But we got the letter from um, Office of Labor Relations saying that, you know, it was wrong. I don't know if you've seen that, Chris, that they the job had no ability to implement the vaccine mandate. And, um, and you know, again, the PBA is nowhere on this. The LBA is nowhere on this. The SBA is nowhere on this. The CA is nowhere on this. The DA is nowhere on this. They wouldn't even talk about it, you know. the You know, they wouldn't even talk about it. Um
2: so my, my
0: point in the whole thing, my point in, the, in it all is that is that these unions, they should have represented us legally as individuals and as a collective and also filed a grievance individually and as a collective on our behalf, and they didn't. So listen, when you guys in the union are listening to this, and you're like, why doesn't McCarry just go live his life in Florida? It's because you ruined people's lives like Chris. You ruined people's lives like P.O. Cola. You forced numerous people to put something in their body because you're a bunch of cowards. So till the day I drop dead, I'm going to keep blasting you. So I don't care. This is not right what happened to this kid. It's not right what happened to me. It's not right what happened to Eric Dim. It's not right what happened to over 10,000 of us. It's not right. And it's your fault. You are in leadership. And the same goes for the leadership of this job. So that's why Eric does not going away. That's why Chris is brave enough to come on here and give his story. That's why this podcast is very successful. And people are listening because you're getting real information here. So – Chris, I'm sorry to go on a rant, but like yeah. every every time I hear people talk about it, it fucking enrages me because it, it's complete bullshit that nobody reached out to you. We care about cops. We care about suicides. I hear the police commissioner saying how we're a fucking family. We're not a fucking family. No. You, you no. were left to starve and die in the street. You were left to starve and die in the yeah. street. You didn't give a fuck. Uh, yeah, I was
1: thing. left to figure it out. And that, and that was a, just to add back to your point. And I should have mentioned this earlier when asked about, you know, why I didn't do the exemption and, you know, and why I didn't take the vaccine. Uh, a big part of that, too, was, you know, if I agree to this and say yes and take this shot, you know, I'm basically letting the city just do whatever they want without union representation, without collective bargaining. So where does the line get drawn? You know, what else can they ask me or they'll tell me to do against my will? How far is this going to go? And people didn't think about that. I mean, you may be like, oh, okay, like just get the shot. It's not a big deal. How far are you willing to go? So, Chris, this is disgraceful. I mean,
2: honestly, Chris, this is disgraceful. One, I listen to you talk. You're extremely articulate, extremely intelligent. You had five years on the job. You're somebody that we want to take the test to move up the ranks. Obviously, that has potential to be a great leader on this job. You were experienced. You were motivated. You were out there doing street field work in the 7-7 precinct. And they let you go. They let you go because of their principles, because, one, you don't matter because you weren't willing to fall in line and be controlled and get the vaccine. Two, let's be honest, you were discriminated against because you're a white guy right now in in a department that is talking about underrepresented. You're underrepresented. So it's not about racism. It's total discrimination. We sometimes hear this uh, term going around reverse discrimination. I don't know what that is. You were discriminated against. Bottom line you discriminated, and you were treated like a dog. The PBA never stopped off you. John's right; they left you out there. They 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 say that you're a family. This is how you treat family. This is terrible. They left you out. They didn't. No one even gave you a nah. phone call. I mean, if if that really was the case, that there was only thirty four of you, Pat Lynch could have personally called thirty. You know, thirty four guys. It could have went to your door. You know, I, actually, now that you tell me that it's almost fifty dollars a month in dues, I got to go back and do my numbers again because. It's about two million or two million a month that the PBA is getting that they put in this money in interest. Think about what they're getting in a year. I mean, yeah. John put out a tweet. Did you see what John put out? It's so true. The the PBA, the union itself are the highest union paid people in the country who are represented the lowest paid for the demographics and the department that they represent. This is absolutely yeah. insanity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, all that money goes to hair gel. So I, if you want to know where it goes, that's where that's where it all goes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I won't even just beat up on Pat Lynch. I'll beat up on all of them. He's the longest tenure so far, so he definitely deserves it. And and he, you know, and he screwed us all through arbitration. And, and it always makes me laugh how guys fight fight with me on that. They're like, it is what it is, bro. Fuck the unborn, you know. Yeah, okay, yeah. Fuck the unborn. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> you're you're a moron. Like you're an absolute moron. Um, mm-hmm. but. You know, but yeah, it's true. I mean, with with the lowest for the amount of stress that we're under, and I got one better for you. What if Chris was dead wrong, and now he's the guy that had COVID seven times and keeps going sick in the police department and bringing it into work and doing all that? Like the guys who were the were the smart ones, like Governor Kathy Hochul said. What if Chris was dead wrong? Like, what if he was dead wrong, and we just throw him to the curb? So if he was a murderer. Eric Adams is going to give him an on-ramp, right? Eric Adams is worried about giving him an on-ramp. If he was a rapist, we're worried about giving him an on-ramp. If he's a, a a drug dealer, if he's anything, but say that we're wrong. Say we're, we're these crazy. We're not going to help those people. We're not. We're just going to kick them to the curb, remove them from employment, remove them from society. I mean, abhorrent, and especially coming from where the largest police force in the nation. We were at one time. The pinnacle of what law enforcement was, and yet we ignored every law, including labor law and everything else. So it was it was absolute disgrace. I mean, it is disgusting, and you know, I before we jump on, I want to go on to the Exodus. But before we jump on that, I always ask somebody, I always ask retired guys these these questions. Chris, at the time you took the job, would you take it again? In the same scenario You don't know what's good the future holds At the time you did it, when you took it Would you take the job again?
1: Yeah, you asked me that Before I got on, and I've been thinking About that a lot lately And um, I honestly, I know it sounds Like bullshit, but I am not one of those guys that lives In regret, I wouldn't change a thing Just because of where I ended up and what I Went through to get to this point I, you know, I think that The, the struggle and all that, and the hardships, the heartbreak, all the bad stuff that comes from the job and the good, it made me a better person, and I wouldn't change anything. I would have taken the job again. I would have been – I would have 100%. Unless unless NASA or Suffolk called me first, then I would forget it. But otherwise –
0: All right. So today is – whatever the hell today is, we're in some (laughs) day in December. We're in December 2022. I don't even know what day it is. But now you're a young man. I bring you back. You take the job right now.
1: Oh, if I was 23 right now and right now, would you take the job right now? Knowing what I know now,
0: the NYPD.
1: <laughs> no, 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 right now in today's
0: <laughs> in today's New York City.
1: No, I would not. No, and I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend that anybody do it. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. Hey, you Chris, don't have any. I'm cu-
2: Chris, I'm curious. During this time that you uh, have been out. Has the, department ever, has the department of the PBA ever reached out to you to see how you're doing? If you want to come back?
1: They- oh, so, um, so actually somebody from like – what's that unit? Uh, employee assistance? Like the day <laughs> I handed my gun and shield in, this woman calls my my parents' house. I just happened to be over. I wasn't even living there at this point, and I just picked up the phone because it, it was like NYPD on the caller ID. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, <laughs> I just gave my gun and shield. I'm like, hello? And uh, it was like this female sergeant uh, in EAU. She's really nice. I can't remember her name. She was like, she's like, listen, she's like, I know, like, I don't even know what to say to you. She's like, she's like, I just have to call you to see that you're okay. If you don't want to talk to me or anything, like I get, you know, I just, I feel so bad. And we talked a little bit, but other than that, you know, and then she said uh, she was going to get back. It was like, well, what if later on I changed my mind? I want to do an exemption, you know, now that I'm on leave without pay. And she's like, uh yeah, I'll you know, I can see I, I heard somebody else doing that. Maybe we can get you know, we could work something out for you. I'm like, okay. And I never heard from her again. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever, she felt man. bad,
2: but she, she felt bad, but she was probably told, Don't call that guy again. He's Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's we'll call so it up, <laughs>
2: Chris, <laughs> he, talk, he, talk, he talks to Job and Carrie. Don't call that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, no, no,
1: no, no one called from the job. Nobody called. <laughs> Chris,
0: Chris, what was the best thing about the NYPD?
1: Um, pro- probably the camaraderie. You know, when you get when you work in a good place and you have a good group of guys and girls, and you know you, you're getting along, and you can go out you know work and have fun lights and sirens the jobs and seeing crazy shit and then you know eleven thirty gets getting to go out at night i mean th- those were some great memories and i had you know i had a good time I, that's why i said the part of I, w- I don't regret anything i don't regret taking this job
0: what was the worst part of the NYPD? <laughs>
1: oh man the worst um I think just, you know, fundamentally changing as a person, Um, you know, just, you know, you you sacrifice a lot. And when you're young, you don't think about it. But as time goes on and you're missing, you know, birthdays and weddings and things like that, and you're just not around and, you know, you're in the same place doing the same thing every day. And uh, just, you know, you're, you're dealing with people's problems nonstop. Yeah. And you're maybe not addressing your own, Um, you know, that that's I think that's the silent, like worst part of the job that people just don't understand. You know, sometimes you just want to go home and zone out and just not talk to anybody and not deal with problems. And, you know, life goes on outside the job and uh, you have to really, you know, be cognizant of that and adjust to that as a cop. That's probably the hardest part.
2: Chris, what's your message message to the guys that are on the job right now that have five, ten years on the job, like yourself, maybe, that are on the fence that are, you know, they're they're looking at the circling right now, they're looking at other professions out there, they're they're looking at other law enforcement jobs out there, maybe in Florida, other states.
1: What's your message to them? I I would say take a chance on yourself. Uh, Bet on yourself. Go for it, okay, because at the end of the day, the job was, they're going to take you back. They're not going to not take you back. You can always go back (laughs) You know, give it a shot. Try it. If you don't like it and it doesn't work out, at least you tried. And, you know, you don't live your life in regret 10, 20 years down the line and think oh, I should have done that. I should have done this. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it seems like a crazy thing. Some guys are just so hung up on I'm going to make less money and it's, you know, I'm comfortable and starting over and I don't know how to do it. You know, you will get over it. You know, if you challenge yourself, you will get through it. It's not easy. It's not easy leaving the job after that. Being that being all you know, but it can be done. It can be done. And if you want to, and you and you're unhappy, you should do it. You should just jump in with both feet.
0: So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just piggyback off what you said. You you work in law enforcement in another department now, right? Yeah. Do you make more money or less money than when you were on the NYPD? I
1: make less. Yeah, I make less money.
0: Was the pension system better in the NYPD?
1: It was. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I, I yeah. wasn't collecting it, but I think it, it yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: no, but I'm just saying,
1: like, <laughs> as, far, as far as all the yeah. benefits
0: you will We'll see
1: of. what surprises are going to happen for tier three people down in 2040 something. But yeah, it, it's as far as I know, it's a better pension.
0: The city just got a major victory in court today for all users following the retiree benefits. Uh, it looks like Adam might even get to go to to put everybody into the Medicare Advantage plan. So anybody that's uh, Medicare eligible, that, that includes people who are disabled, it looks like you're going to end up having worse health care. Uh, your premiums could go at a ginormous rate. Your prescriptions could go at a ginormous rate. Basically, you're going to jump on either government health care or you're going to have to look to buy your own health care. Um, and that is coming for all of us, uh, whether you're retired or not. So I'm just letting you know right now it's another issue that's going to come up through collective bargaining as the as the unions. Uh, Once Pat Lynch decides to get out of PERB after his uh, re-election run, um, they'll be they'll be looking to they'll be looking to diminish active people's benefits as well, um, and those who are not uh, Medicaid eligible.
2: Um,
0: so so all right, so let's get into it, right? Let's get into let's get into it. I mean, here we are, we're all young guys. I mean, I think we should all still be. I you know, I think me and Eric still had a good twenty years to go. Um, uh, I think you had a good you know maybe thirty years to go. Honestly, Um, uh, you know, um. I mean, I, you know, I was planning on moving up the ranks. I know Eric was. Um, Eric actually got denied from the CCRBs. He should have been a captain prior to before he retired. Um, I was getting ready to take the captain's exam. I know I would have did well uh, through my work ethic. If you sound like a smart guy. I'm sure you would end up passing that sergeant's exam and becoming a sergeant. Um, before I get into the exodus, my last question for you. Did you feel like you had another route other than than taking the sergeant promotion? Did you feel you had a clear path to become a detective or move up laterally other than taking that exam?
1: No, I didn't. Um, You know, know, I was there, you know, I was in the 7-7. It's not, you know, a glamorous place to work. It's not a place that people are picking up the phone and calling, you know, their uh, father's best friend who's a chief to get them somewhere. You know, there was no getting out for me, and I thought the only way was to take the sergeant's exam. I I got to a point where I realized it doesn't. I could have five hundred collars, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna change anything.
2: Yeah, but well, I can tell you this, Chris. You definitely, you definitely solidified what John and I were talking about. Uh, I mean, clearly, what, what, you know, if you're not falling in line with nepotism, that's the only route for you. That's why. It, even though those those tests don't administer or teach you any type of leadership, it's the only way to be fair. You take a test and you get put on a list. And it's the only way that that test can be fair is because it alleviates nepotism. And mm-hmm. that that was the route I took. I'm assuming, John, you probably thought the same thing. I thought, listen, let me take the test because this, I could create my own destiny. So oh, yeah. if I'm going to try to be, I didn't have anybody on the job that I could become detective. I knew that was the way for me to go take the Saunders test.
0: Yeah. No, uh, no. I, uh, when I, when I, when I I had, I, had, I think I had over a hundred calls. I had like six years on, and I, and the test was coming, and I knew I was going to take the test. I knew I was going to pass that test, but I I put in to go to the squad, and. I did the interview, and Chief of Staff, I love me. He's like, oh, you're a sharp kid. We went through, like, all the places I – test, all my testimony, the patterns I solved, the cases that that went federal, like all the things that I did, right? I I had – I just had some crazy calls. I worked with some great guys. I worked in a slow house, but we just made some crazy calls. And he said to me at the time, he goes, listen, kid, I love you. You're just too young. You're going to be unsupervisable. I could tell you're a sharp guy. You're going to be unsupervisable by the time you hit 10 years. And I was like, listen, boss, all honesty, I'm going to go to the sergeant round. I just wanted to get investigative experience. This was the first opportunity I had. This was the first round of interviews. I gave it a shot. I, I, I appreciate you being honest with me. I appreciate it. You know, he's like, I'm telling you right now, you're not getting it. And I was like, no problem. I was like, I appreciate it. You know, and I walked out of there like, all right, I'm good. You know, I walked around the round table. They all try to beat me up a little bit. Some of the sergeants didn't like me. Um, or whatever that reasons it was, um, not doing probably my work. because
1: they're probably because they're incompetent and the jealousy that's usually the case, they feel inferior, but
0: yeah, it had nothing to do with my work. I think. it had nothing to do with yeah. my work. I think all my work
1: it had because it yeah, they, probably, they probably had like 20 collars and then they became a sergeant. And now they're you know, they know somebody and they're interviewing you for this,
0: so. So that happened, and I was like, okay, I was like, whatever. I was like, there are guys that deserve it. There are guys busting their ass. There are guys that have been in anti-crime five, six, seven, because at that time, the books hadn't been open to take new detectives in in a while. You know? And uh, so I, they, I knew there were people that deserved it over me. So I was like, okay. And then the kid that gets it has like three years on. He's a jam sandwich. I'm like, he has not even a quarter of the arrest I have. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I was yeah. like that I was like you didn't take the guy with, with twelve years on that's been an anti crime for six years. And uh we got a listener that, that, that that's just sent me some messages today and he calls himself uh Keith Amaham. And <laughs> 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 I love it, it's absolutely awesome. Amaham and he and you know, he was like talking about the nepotism that he's been in yeah. the detective bureau forever. And he's a third grader. He's, he's made great arrests. He's still involved in the arrest processes. And he can't move ahead because of the nepotism. Because he doesn't suck ass. And he doesn't fit the flavor of the NYPD. And by flavor, I mean skin color or gender. You know? and, uh, so, so so, here we go. Let's get into it. So I, I put out a tweet the other day. It said uh, – it's actually an Instagram post. According to the Daily Mail UK – NYPD News resignations, those not retirement eligible, shoot up 30% as 1,225 officers ditch the US's largest police force. That number equals two recruit academy classes being wiped out. And I say, which I've said numerous times, I say the NYPD will be in half by 2028 I, I also go on to state, I said, at New York City Mayor and at the New York City Police Commissioner, I will again state the main factors for this exodus. And I don't care what Joe Giacalone, uh Joe Patrice all you other police experts, I don't care what you say about the exodus because I heard you, Pat Lynch, uh, uh, Paul DiGiacomo, uh, Lou Turco, I heard everyone talk about this exodus and no one's talked about this vaccine mandate. It's a fucking disgrace. None of you have a pair of balls in my eyes. You're not men. I don't care. This is It's it's absolutely terrible. There are thousands of guys like Chris who left this job over it. So I will, again, state the main factors for this exodus from NYPD News and Order. Number one, the illegal vaccine mandate. Number two, there's no clear mission, no leadership. Number three, morale. Number four, work life, home life. Number five, pay. Hey, um, what do you guys think about that?
2: I, I love to jump in on this. I tell you what, Chris, you said it before, and I've been thinking about it. And you said you said it best. You talking? You went you went to another department somewhere somewhere in Florida or another state to make less money. And Pat Lynch's stance has been that the pay is the number one reason why there's a mass excess. And you just proved that that's not even the case. No. And John, you you put it as number five. I would say it's probably even lower than that than that because. Clearly, you got a better quality of life right now, the pay is substantially less, the pension is less. But that wasn't even a contributing factor. I think the fact that clearly you, you said number one is the vaccine mandate. And I think for some of the cops, right, maybe they didn't take the vaccine. Maybe they actually took the vaccine, but they probably saw their buddies and their friends being pushed around like yourself. And that have, that, that definitely kills morale. That's why I say, John, remember I asked you the question, the podcast. One of the podcasts, I think it was two podcasts prior to this, and you answered in order of the reasons why why there is a mess, Texas. And I think they're all connected. These are all connected to the vaccine. Chris, it's a shame what they did to you. You're a smart guy. You should still be an NYPD employee, but you know what? You did the right thing. Fuck them. They don't deserve you. You went somewhere else where they deserve you. Fuck them. I, you know what? It's true.
1: All right. <laughs> oh, no, listen. I would still be there if it wasn't for the vaccine mandate. That's 100% true. If it was not for that... I would still be there despite everything else that you just said, despite the other four things. It's true.
2: Chris,
0: what would you say are your reasons for For I mean, this, like, we're just talking resignations here. This has nothing to do with guys like you and me and Eric that festered yeah. out and retired fully or the guys over 20. So I think when I say the NYPD will be in half in 2028, 20, I actually think that's a hopeful perspective. I think the, the the situation is absolutely dire right now. The attrition now that we're looking at is like probably five thousand people are gone in a year, and we've replaced zero. Unlike Chief Madger, said on WABC News, where he was like, "You know, people still love this job; they come on it." But like nobody's coming on this fucking job, and the guys that come on are leaving. Like Eric said earlier, what do you say, Chris? What do you think is? what if you had to if you had to order out, like what would be yours?
1: Um, as to why I left, or in general. Oh, in
0: general, what do you think? Yeah. Why yeah. there is a mass exodus in the police
1: department? Um, yeah, well, you, I you think now, now. in order, or just in you no. Know,
2: in order, in order, yes. Yeah. In
1: order, yeah. Yeah. Um, in order I, I think the vaccine mandate has to be one. I think ever since, if you go, you know, if you go back and look since the vaccine mandate and prior to it. There's the huge drop off came after the vaccine mandate. So how can you not say that's the number one thing, you know, uh, two. you know, me, you know, money, of course, is, you know, that's always the biggest thing, like the next biggest thing after like that. Um, I mean, let's face it, you know, I had the last good contract, the guys that came after me, they got totally screwed. I mean, they're making like less than $46,000 a year for the first six years. Who can live on that? in New York city who could live on that on on Long Island or in New York state. You can't, you can't live on that. And the people that can are, you know, they, they hire people that are, you know, from other countries like Trinidad and Tobago and um, you know, Pakistan that to them, they can, you know, they can manage, they can raise a whole family off of that. You know, you can't, you know, the, the money is, it's still secondary though, to the vaccine. That's the number one thing. They're not addressing it at all. Um, and then, you know, other, other factors. I mean, you know, obviously everything I mentioned about the, the qualified immunity, the diaphragm law. You, if you work in a busy area and there's no way out except the sergeant's exam, you got to sit and wait. But at the same time, you have to answer, you know, radio calls. You have to go to 911 jobs and deal with people that, you mm-hmm. know, they know that you can't put your weight on their back while they're arresting you. And they know that they can sue the city and sue you and make a big payday, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Every day you're going to work, you know, risking everything. And for what? For for $45,000 a year if you're a new guy? I mean, come on. That's why nobody wants this job. (laughs) It's not, you know, anybody, anybody with a shred of common sense would see that and put it together and realize it's not worth it.
2: Chris, how much of a concern for you when you were out there, especially at the George Floyd era, George Floyd uh, era and also with the riots that you
1: involved in. How much of a concern was CCRV to you at that time? Um, You know, a big thing, you know, I everybody was trying to rope you in. They, you know, everybody talks, you know, people, you know, people were calling me a disgrace as, you know, there's like a, a bus stop getting ripped down like right next to me by like civilians. So I'm like, all right, yeah, right, I'm the disgrace. I'm, I'm the one that's the problem here. I'm just standing here, you know, but, <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, you that was it wasn't, you know, number one thing was like officer safety. I, I, I want to make sure I got home safe. But the second thing yeah, was the, you know, allegations and people just trying to rope you in, you know, you any every call you're thinking it could be an ambush. I mean, tensions were high then people were crazy. This girl throws a molotov cocktail at a police fan. I some lawyer girl like the world lost their mind.
0: Yeah, city council's cheering them on. Justin Brennan sending out tweets that he erased all yeah. of them, that we need to go yeah. further. But the Blasio's calling them out on the news. This is a great time. Come out. This is a pivotal time in history. You know, um, they were empowered. You know, that and, and you know, and again, it was all people from out of state. So <laughs> the whole thing was a fucking setup.
2: Um John, do you and Chris feel like you missed out that you never got the cheeseburger?
0: the the cheese with his fries i mean you know i was like wow like wow i was like i "I can't i was fucking through i i couldn't even watch those like i couldn't even watch if i i swear i like i couldn't even contain myself at that time if i that shit was on tv or fucking that moron cuomo yeah, fucking, I don't even know, we need like fucking 300 ventilators, we're just gonna start shoving everybody on ventilators, you know, what am I gonna do with those ventilators? I couldn't even listen, I wanted to fucking smash my TV. I was like, these are the people, I'm like, we are being led by Iron Furious. we really are. We're being led by our inferiors in the police department. We're being led by our inferiors in city council, with state assembly, the governor's office. I mean, and and you know what? I, I, like, I, I love Donald Trump. I was a big Trump guy. I liked him. I was never a MAGA guy and all in on Trump. But honestly, even him, I was like, you fucking shut the greatest economy in the world down? Are you a fucking moron? You hand it over to this little elf, and like, you, you let him run the country? You're the president of the United fucking States. Where are you? You know, and I, I'll even say like, yeah, he was he was it was a re- it was a good relief to have a guy who supported law enforcement at the time, because, I mean, here we are for eight years of Obama. We were getting demonized. So it was a, it, he was a sigh of relief up until that happened.
1: I know mm-hmm. what the
0: f- what, where is the leadership in this country? Like, where is it anyway? I don't see it anywhere.
2: You know, I really didn't. John, we got to figure out. On our podcast, how we could play videos, because I love why you, you would talk and explain this. If we could have the video of the Blasio eating the fries, we need to play that. We need to play that up for a moment. Is that I don't even think I can watch
0: that again. I honestly
2: don't. <laughs> that was yeah, the mayor of New York ridiculous. City.
0: <laughs> and, and again, you had cops taking pictures with him, and now it's Christmas season. And I see all these walking cops. shaking hands, smiling with Eric Adams. I'm like, you're fucking disgusting. No balls. No balls. It's disgusting to me. Anything to get promoted, anything to fucking get your face out there, this guy fucking got rid of guys like him, got rid of guys like me, forced you, maybe your wife, your girlfriend to stick something in her body she didn't want, and you're gonna fucking shake this guy's hand, and you're gonna smile with him at a Christmas party? Joke.
2: John, I... I I hate I hate to laugh about it, but I do laugh about it because I just think it's so funny because I remember watching him sit and eat the, the, the cheeseburger the fries, whatever the case is, and I was thinking, like, he's legitimately just laughing in cops' faces because he knows he's got you by the balls. Like, he knows you're going to take this vaccine. I mean, they're offering you a – it was almost like like he was mocking the cops. I, I, honestly, I feel like he was mocking you guys on purpose, like, like laughing in your face. Like, oh, you I'll, I'll offer you a fucking Happy Meal. You know, to take this vaccine, you're going to take it. Because if not, you're gonna, your ass is going to be poured out in the fucking street. That's basically mm. what he was saying. It, he, he, I mean, you're talking to New York City police officers like they just pieces of shit on the street, trash.
1: Yeah, That's exactly yeah. what it at, was. At least I have dignity, and I didn't look like an idiot eating that cheeseburger on TV. So I mean, <laughs> he looked like a fool. Yeah,
0: he's a fucking loser. He could take all his money. Eric Adams could take. All his fucking money. I could really give a fuck about it. I really don't. They look like they're, they're, they're soulless to me. I don't care. They, you know, they will answer in this life or the next. hundred percent. Like I, I, I could care less. They're absolutely soulless. They could have all that money. I wouldn't want to ever look like Bill De Blasio. Be like him. Live his fucking life. Walk in his shoes. The same goes for Eric Adams. I mean, you know, I mean, he's not even real with who he is. Like he should come out one day and tell New York City who he really is, because. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know.
2: You say that for another day? <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, I'll get into it. I mean, listen, he's a good-looking ball guy. He's the mayor in New York City. I mean, the guy has zero women around him. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Whatever you do is fine, but be real with yourself. You know? <laughs> be real with yourself. Like, that's it, you know? And, and you're forcing people to do things. Like, you're forcing people to make these decisions. You force Chris out of New York. You force me out of New York. You force Eric out of New York. Like, and there's thousands of us. And, and all the guys on the job currently are fucking miserable. I don't know anybody that's happy. Only if you're tied to the upper echelon. I know the Hispanic, the NYPD's Hispanic Society parties tonight looks great. Everybody's having a great time. They should. They're all getting promoted. Everybody's getting promoted. You got Caban up there taking care of everybody. You know, you got the kid in charge of the Hispanic Society calling the shots. I mean, I, I would be happy too. But even then, it's not all Hispanics. It's just the people close to the top. Right, and that's you know, and that's what's going on. It's not all the black, all the black cops are getting promoted and all that stuff. It's just the people close to the top. And then again, you know, us as white guys, we have we getting demonized for eight years. You have feel like you have no path going forward. You feel like you have no 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 way to go forward unless. You know, And you have these white chiefs like, yeah, no, we need to diversify the whole apartment, which is obviously a lie because, again, we step on the Indians. We step on the Pacific Asian Islanders. We step on the Muslims. We step on the Chinese. We don't give a shit about them even though they're, they're the most underrepresented. And And you have these white guys saying, yeah, yeah, no, this is great. This is what we're going to do. Why? Because they don't care because they know when their kid gets on the job, they'll be fully taken care of because the nepotism is there. And I mean, I I get what you're saying about the pay, and these guys do need to make a lot more money about the pay. But I'll push back with you for one thing: you left and you're making less pay, and I I don't think you're an outlier, dude. I know plenty of people, cops, nurses, and teachers that took the shot and are living here and with me in Florida because they were like they weren't liking the way New York City was going, and they make way less money and they're in worse pension systems, you know. Yeah. So, like that—that's yeah. my thing, Eric. What's what's your top three? You think?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know what? Listen, I stand with you guys because you guys didn't take the vaccine, and and I said I took the vaccine because I figured I had so many shots in the military, but you know, honestly, I, I didn't do my research. I figured I did so—I did so many shots. I didn't know what they gave me, anthrax. So, what, what was another one? Uh, but I stand with you guys. I still feel that the vaccine is number one. That everything's connected to this. I think that. Number one, the vaccine mandate was pinnacle point where it started this mass exodus, uh, clearly. And connected to that vaccine mandate, absolutely number two is morale, absolutely morale. And number three, I think they go together, is civilian complaint review board along with failed leadership. And like you said, you don't call it leadership. You call them city management. I think that's the order. First is the vaccine mandate. Second is morale. And third is civilian complaint review board. <clears throat> along with the leadership. I think civilian complaint review board is a major contributing factor to crime. I think it's a major contributing factor to a mass excess Because if you decide, like Chris, you want to be a proactive police officer, you can't. CCRB is going to pep you up and they're going to get you off the street. They're going to put you on a shelf. You're going to make a decision. Do I want to stay in this job or go somewhere else? And unfortunately, in most cases... By the time you smarten up and say, you know what, I got to stop doing police work. I have to stop doing my job. Your record's already pepped up. And now mm. your 58 is being exposed and you go to Florida go somewhere else. And like, well, you abused the authority ten times. <laughs> use my authority. I, I didn't show a business card. But yeah, yet, yeah. that falls under the purview of abuse authority. John, mm. clearly, number one, I'm with you. I'm with you, Chris. Number one is the vaccine mandate. When they said in November before those elections, Bill de Blasio, about that vaccine mandate – Everything started. The whole job changed in a, in a moment. Because I think at this point, we could all agree, as ridiculous those riots were, ridiculous watching Chiefs take a knee, we were all willing to go through that, right, and absorb the pressure to stay on the job, right? Because the comrades. Yeah. But along with that, the morale is terrible. Why? Because guys getting pushed out. You see your brother and sister leaving. And the guys, had even for those that, that did take it, they were put into a position that they didn't want to take it. They took it because they were forced to. So, mm-hmm. honestly, I think they feel worse than you guys because you guys took a stand and you you made your own decision. They were forced to take it. And John and I talked about it. Legitimately, I saw men and women, police officers, lieutenants, cry. Legitimately cry because they – yeah. the- <laughs> right? They were crying. They wish they were you guys, <laughs> that they had the balls to stand on their own feet. I'm super impressed with you guys. Super impressed. I actually wish – Honestly, I can go back in time, and I wish I didn't take the vaccine only because I wish I could have st- stood with you guys. All right? I took the vaccine because I, I just didn't – I didn't even think about it. What's another shot for me? But the fact that you guys stood up, I wish I could have stood by with you guys. Honestly, I re- really did. For that reason, that you guys showed the fortitude, I'm super impressed with you guys. I, I really am. I wouldn't have done this this podcast with someone if I wasn't impressed with him taking a stand. Man, That means a lot to me. I think that – I said all to, all to my guys, you got to take a stand in life. You can't be Sweden. You know, If you work with someone and they get along with everyone, I'm really skeptical of that person. You got to take a stand in life. You guys took a stand. That means a lot. you know. And I have nothing but respect for you guys. I really do. But, John, absolutely, the Thank vaccine you. is number one. Morale is number two. Morale is so bad. And all these are connected. The morale is bad because of the vaccine, because everyone is scared to actually do their job. The civilian great review board is putting so much pressure, and there's zero leadership. You know what? It's great. Listen, I appreciate Key Chan Sewell, the police commission coming out saying that she's going to stand and try to change some of these discipline that's going on, but that discipline matrix needs to be completely revamped and removed. That is the worst doctrine. First of all, I'm going to say Commissioner Dermot Shea is probably the worst commissioner that we ever had. To actually, someone that was commanding officer to actually implement that doctrine, it's the most ridiculous case. It's absolutely ridiculous what they did to this department. And, And and, you know, John, going back to the that listener that we have, I listened to some of the stuff he's talking about. It's so true that detective... We, we, we have a listener here, and I want to thank you. If you if you listen to this one here, I want to thank you for your support. Here you are. You have 18 years on the job. You said you have more than 10 years in the Bureau. And what you've learned in this time – and I listened to what you said. It's so true. He said what he learned. It's not about doing casework anymore. It's about networking. You are 100% right, brother, because if you're part of the Hispanic Society, it's networking. That's how you move up. It's all about networking and nepotism. It's all connected. It doesn't matter you have 18 years on the job. You're an old dog. They don't care. They want to know – how could you be beneficial to someone else? It's all about networking. It's all about nepotism. Nepotism is creating this environment. Look, Richard Shea, Commissioner Shea's son, was able to get on the job with nepotism. And that's why none of these, none of, like he also mentioned that Chief Wilcox, Chief Wilcox will never come out and say, What's wrong with this job? Because maybe he's got someone down the line that he probably has a son, a daughter, a grandson, or whatever the case, someone's going to come on this job. Other than that, otherwise, w- why would you not stand up and talk about all these atrocities that are going on with Job? Chris, thank you, brother. I- I'm super impressed, man. I really am. The job lost a good guy. You know what? You got a better life now. You got a better path.
1: Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely.
2: Um,
0: guys, I'm gonna start to get ready to wrap it up though, because I gotta run. Um, but uh, I just I just got I got two questions for you, Chris. All right. My question is. What do you see for the
1: NYPD going forward? I don't care. I'm not there anymore. No. <laughs> <That's a great laughs> no. Going, going forward, uh, I, I don't think it's going to get any better. I think they have dug themselves in so deep with their stances on everything. And they refuse to, you know, where, where I work now, it, they take care of you. You know, with the NYPD, it, it's a customer service job you know everything is just you're always wrong and the customer the public is always right no matter how ridiculous their requests are so i don't if they're going to continue to operate this way and not do the job which is to be a police officer it's never going to get any better it's just going to continue to go in this downward spiral and then
0: uh and then you know like we always give our our guests like the last word, like what, what would be your message to the world or to the job or whatever you want to say, it's your time, like whatever you want to
1: say. Yeah. I, I don't want to say too much because I, I think I really said my piece tonight and I really thank you, John and Eric for having me on. I you know really appreciate it. I never done a podcast before. This is great. Uh, I was really happy to get my story out because I think a lot of people don't know it, didn't know, uh, you know, the things that I've been through and what I had to do to get to this point. Um, You know, the job did not make it easy for me when I was there and when I left to try to improve my life. And, um, you know, I'm happy that, you know, I'm I'm happy that I got the positives that I did out of the job. But, you know, the negatives need to be addressed. If they really want to help, and they really want to improve the job for the people that are there and for people going forward, they need to listen to people like me and you and Eric because otherwise, I mean, you know, it's just going to, it's going to be a continuation. And I I don't think that they're going to, I think that they continue to serve the interests of, you know, certain members of the public, special interests uh, you know, it's nepotism, all these things that are just rotting the job from the inside and they're losing good people and they're stuck with, you know, incompetent people that just know somebody or play the game better. And uh, if you're one of these guys that's on the fence about leaving, you know, when you're, you're worried, or I would say you should definitely, you know, don't be afraid to take that chance. If you're really unhappy, it's not about money. It's you, you can always make, there is a, there is a life outside of this job, believe it or not.
0: No, oh, thank you. No, thank you for that. Do you do you think I missed anything? Is there anything that we didn't bring up or we didn't talk no. about?
1: I mean, we we could go for hours and yeah. I mean, that's why you have a podcast because you just make new episodes every time that <laughs> they, there's a never-ending source of material there, but yeah. I think we pretty much hit on everything and I'm really happy that I got to come on and discuss it.
0: Eric, right, you got go anything for- before we sign
2: off? Yeah, dude. I just want to tell the public, man. Chris, you, you, you represent us. You represent all the cops that are out there right now. I'm super impressed with you. Uh, it's a shame that the department lost somebody like yourself. But the other cops that are out there right now, the message that you put out there, uh, they need to be listened to. This. You were a proactive cop. It's a lot of proactive cops out there right now that are on the fence and trying to make a decision where to go with their life. So. Uh, Dude, I'm super impressed with you. Thank you for coming on here. We need more guys like you to speak out and thank you for taking a stand. Took a lot of credit, took a lot of courage to do what you did. I, I I have nothing but respect for you. And uh man, if you have anything in the future, please reach out to us. I, I'd be happy to help. Thank you so much for uh for being uh, a stand up guy like yourself, man. We need more people like you to to put their feet to the ground. And uh I, I always say, man, I'd rather live for you know, die for something than, than live for nothing. And that's exactly what you did. Kudos to you, brother. Seriously. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and and just in conclusion, guys, like every, everything I was talking about, I mean, it just, I mean, the greatest hypocrisy is just sitting right here. I mean, just look at us, three. We should all still be in NYPD. You know, we should be working right now. You know, Eric should be on again his you know his hundred and twenty ninth allegation. Now, <laughs> we should all still be working in the NYPD right now. It's the greatest hypocrisy for the guys that you're out there. You're going into the media
1: you have a platform
0: you're being asked for these interviews i mean i take this personally i put a, i put a, a post out there i said everything's personal nothing's business so and i truly believe that i really do so i'm taking all this personally i've taken all of it personally i take chris's story personally you should all too And you should understand when you're going on the news and they're talking about an exodus and the overwhelming highlight factor is staring you right in your face. And you're being a coward because the news agency is telling you not to speak about it because that's happened to me numerous times. And guess why I wasn't on those news shows, right? And you know what? And I don't care. And you should be doing the same thing because I'll be goddamned if I sit there and I disrespect thousands of people. I'll be goddamned. If I sell my soul for shit like that, Chris, I admire your courage. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for telling the story. Where the news now? The news that didn't report this. This is this is going to get out there. We're going to continue to put the message out there. This is all of us as a collective, not just this podcast. Everybody, we need to come together. Where the news? Fuck the narrative. We're not stupid. We see what's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to end with that. Great and powerful Christopher Messina. Thank you for coming
1: on, my brother. Thank you, guys. Chris, appreciate it.
2: Chris, thank you so much, man. Outstanding, brother. You did, Dude, you're super articulate. Really, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it, man. Good stuff.